I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Shaggy Tadope. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The Juggalos. Who are the Juggalos? Well, they're the fan base of the iconic and somewhat demonized hip-hop duo, The Insane Clown Posse. Starting in the late 80s and going until today, this crew of like-minded circus clown-themed individuals has gone from being just a group of hip-hop aficionados to independent entrepreneurs to becoming a political movement. The duo at the center of the story is a quirky pair of Michigan natives who started out in the poor suburbs surrounding Detroit and have reached the upper echelons of being erroneously declared a gang by the FBI? To say nothing of the fact that they've launched their own record label, feature film franchise, and wrestling promotion all off of the back of their just blood, sweat, and tears. So, to put it succinctly, on this episode, we're going to be taking a journey into the dark carnival. Whoop whoop, motherfuckers. Whoop whoop! One, two idiots named Joseph. Oh my God, Dave! It's like us. Two idiots named David. <laughs> it's true. There are certain stories that seem to speak to the masses across generations. Stories that reverberate throughout the soul of humanity. Tales that make us embrace our deepest aspirations. Folkloric journeys that involve characters from meager means rising through the ranks and fighting against injustice, evil, and uh, people who don't wear face paint? Despite what your preconceived notions of the insane clown posse are, their idiosyncratic mythology of carnival-themed images and catchphrases, the majority of their artistic output is, well, just that. Their age-old fables of the downtrodden coming together and, well, respecting one another. Also, class warfare of taking power back from the rich suburban aristocracy and being really into Fago. Joseph Bruce and Joseph Utzler grew up in the suburbs of the northern border of Detroit. They met due to a mutual friend group. They were your typical idiot teenagers. They liked horror movies, professional wrestling, and hip-hop. But there was something different about each of these young men. They were driven. They had a vision for their future. One in which they would be professional wrestlers. Yes, that's right. ICP started out as would-be teenage wrestlers. The clown gimmick makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? Dave, 54 episodes in, however many countless references to the term kayfabe. And this is the first time we've ever actually talked about professional wrestling on this podcast. <laughs> We're going to be doing quite a bit of it in this episode, too. It's not just going to be a, a random one-off thing that is an excuse for me to make a joke about guys wearing clown face paint. So, ironically, it's not kayfabe. <laughs> it is not kayfabe. That's true. Also, shout out to the green apple Fago. The cotton candy Fago is trash. Uh, you know, I've never had Fago before. I, I have no no dog in that fight. No clown-themed dog in that fight. <sighs> I, I I don't think they had Fago in New Mexico, so I don't know if they had it in Arizona, but it wasn't a thing in New Mexico. However, I've had it here in California because they have it at like random specialty soda shops. 
So I had I had to move further away from from uh, the Midwest in order to ever see it. Fair enough, man. The two friends along with Utzler's brother, were heavily involved in the Detroit-area wrestling scene. They participated in shows and tried to do their best to break in, but nothing ever really clicked, and so they turned to music. They formed a group with the previously mentioned Utzler's brother, John, called the JJ Boys. Why wasn't it called the JJJ Boys? Since all three of them had the first initial J? Who knows? But it was simply just JJ Boys. Perhaps this was an omen of John Utzler's quick departure from the band. The aliases for this project were Joseph Bruce, who would later be known as Violent J, went by Jagged Joe. Joseph Utzler, who would later be known as Shaggy to Dope, went by Kangle Joe. And then John Utzler went by Master J. So they didn't even ditch the theme, the J themes in their names. They still all have J's in their kayfabe names, but the name of the band is just JJ Boys. This is like a Damon Lindelof puzzle box. So they're the JJ Boys, even though it's three J's. Their kayfabe names. First of all, what the fuck is Kangle? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> it sounds like a weird euphemism for like a venereal disease. <laughs> He got the Kangle Joe. <laughs> but the, so they're Jagged Joe and Kangle Joe. So they're Joe. And I guess it's because their names are Joseph. But then he's John. But then his is just Master J. So it's like, I mean, I guess he, I feel like technically he could have gotten, gotten away with Joe because it's still his, still his nom, his name still has J O in it. And if we're going, if we're going by JoJo's Bizarre Adventure rules, anything with a J O in it can qualify as a JoJo. So I feel like he could have gotten away with Joe just to make it more consistent. It feels to me like, and, and this is probably true, but it feels to me like Joseph Bruce and Joseph Utzler, they were the first ones to be like, these are our names. And like, this is what we're doing. And this is our image. And we're Jagged Joe and Kangle Joe. And then he was just kind of like, they sort of told them and he was like, oh, I guess I have to come up with a nickname. Uh, Master J. Yeah. It really feels that way. Like, I've never been as sure that a human is the visual personification of a hanging Chad as much as John Utzler is a hanging... I know he he's is. He's a hanging J. He's a hanging J, yeah. He's a hanging Jad. Yeah, but but also, he, regardless of all that, his name is way better than theirs, because I don't even know what the fuck Kangle is, and <laughs> Jagged Joe is a terrible name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think they went by Joe or do you think they went by Jagged and Kangle? Like when they're on stage in persona, like do people just yell out like, yeah, Jagged, what's up? Yeah, oh, I love you, Jagged. You fucking give me one of those sick rhymes, Kangle. Yo, Kangle. Kangle, you my man. You the man, Kangle. Somebody please tell us what Kangle means. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe don't. I, I almost don't want to know what Kangle means. So basically, they release a single, which is Party at the Top of the Hill. So the single didn't really do too much, uh, but they also kind of weren't taking it as serious as they do uh, later on down the road. Um, but they they, they kind of had other problems that they needed to solve as a group uh, before they could really devote themselves to the music. So this, this era of the JJ boys and this specific single party at the top of the hill was kind of like their, their basement tapes. They're, they're kind of fucking around on MySpace before MySpace because it's the fucking late eighties. Now question. 
Do you think that Party at the Top of the Hill didn't do well because it was a bad song? Or do you think it didn't do well because every time the demo landed in the lap of or on the desk of a record executive, they just got too hung up being like, what the fuck is a Kangle? And then they and then by the by the end of it, they just forgot what they were even doing. And then they never even listened to the song. <laughs> they spent they spent 40 minutes calling everyone they knew trying to figure out what the fuck a Kangle was. Listen, guys, I I'm loving it. I'm loving the image. I, I you know, I, I love the, the cover to this demo you sent in. This is the attitude we're looking for. I don't even really need to listen to music. I'm down for it. But what the fuck is a Kangle? <laughs> I was up all night. <laughs> guys, guys, I've listened to the song 57 times. I love it. The only question I have is, and this is going to be a pass fail thing. If, if you don't convince me that you know what the fuck a Kangle is, I can't put this out because that question will overshadow the music. So just just ethically, I can't release it. I can't. I can't. Because it might be some weird white supremacist thing. It's the 80s. It's Detroit. We have race relation problems. I'm not trying to start a fucking riot. What the fuck is a Kangle? Honestly, I'm fine with it being like a white supremacist thing. It's the 80s and it's the music industry. Like, who gives a fuck? I just need to know. (laughs) Joseph Bruce, the once and future Violent J, was having a rough time at home. He moved in with some friends and unfortunately started to take a darker path in life. He started organizing this bunch of friends, and, you know, they began carrying out crimes. This turned into him literally starting a gang called the Inner City Posse, which gets even sadder when you think about the fact that the members of this gang are Rudy Hill, his roommate at the time, Joseph Utzler, Shaggy to Dope, and basically just a small cadre of his Southwest Detroit neighborhood friends. Is this really a gang, or is it just like a group of friends who sometimes commit carjackings? Listen, drop the the in the inner city posse, and also change inner to insane, and then also change city to clown. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Justin Timberlake. That sounds like a great idea. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that right now. It's done. I just did it. We are now the insane clown posse. You're welcome, Jagged Joe. Regardless of the distinction, Bruce ran afoul of the law in 1990 and was given 90 days in jail for death threats, robbery, and violation of parole. Attempting to clean up his act, and, you know, after getting out of jail, Bruce became more and more involved in the wrestling side of things in Detroit, pursuing it somewhat seriously as an effort to rehabilitate himself. He became friends with people like Rob Van Dam and Sabu during this fucking process. Which seems like it is a real missed opportunity. Like, why isn't there a buddy comedy series just starring these idiots? After tiring of the social politics side of the wrestling biz, he and the other Joseph and John redoubled their efforts to break into the music business. They began to hustle at nightclubs and bars, attempting to sell their mixtapes. They changed their aliases to Violent J, Too Dope, and I'm not even making this up. John, former Master J, changed his name to John Kick Jazz. Like, kick ass, but it's Kick Jazz. First of all, these guys are worse at coming up with names than syllable and brains. So during this period, uh, they performed and were hustling under the, the rap name Inner City Posse, which was their former gang name, which is also like, was it really a gang or was it just like a group of fucking friends who were just assholes and like stole shit? Isn't that what all gangs are, though? I think there's a difference once you get above like five people. Like if you're like 15 motherfuckers like running a hustle, that's one thing. If you're like a dude and his roommate and his best friend and his brother, is that really a gang or just like a clique of dudes who'd like hang out on weekends and are like morally bankrupt? I feel like 
like you're just completely trivializing startup gangs. Listen, we have a startup gang. It's called the Inner City Posse. We just secured our first round of Series A funding. This year, Q4 of 2021 is all about growth. We're putting growth over profit. By 2023, we expect to be profitable. But right now, we're in a growth phase. That is 100% the the bit that I was going to do. I was going to go, <laughs> I was going to go, uh, you know, we're just a, we're just a startup gang. We're the insane clown gang posse. We're in a growth mindset right now. We're emphasizing KPIs, which is clowns per, uh, instinct. We just, we're just actualizing people's instincts to become clowns. So, you know, we just, we, we're just seeing 6x KPI conversion right now in our outreach. And we just really feel like uh, 2023 is going to be the year of the clown. <laughs> hey, I'm Papa Pricey, the context clown. In order for that bit to be funny to you, you need to understand the context that KPI actually stands for Key Performance Indicator, which is a business term used to define goals that businesses have within any given year. <laughs> it's almost like you and I work at media companies. <laughs> 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 I just want to talk for a second. Um, I just want to talk a bit about like the hustle and the determination of these two guys. Fuck John. Like he's John is the Ringo of this story. He's going to come in and out. He's the fucking. So- oh, oh, you mean John kick jazz? Yeah. John kick jazz. Fuck that guy. He's not even he's not even the Ringo. He's the he's the original drummer. Oh, yeah. Pete Best. Pete Best. But I just I just want to talk for a minute about like. Um, starting anything is really hard. Getting people to believe in you as a creative person is really hard when you're first starting any creative endeavor at any point in life. It's also even harder when you're somebody who's really poor in the inner city. It's even harder when you're in the middle of the country, not on one of the coastal cities where, you know, there's a little bit more of an inclination towards artistic pursuits and an understanding of what that means. It's even harder when you have a crippling addiction to Fago soda. And it's even harder when you permanently tattoo your face to be clown makeup and then pretend like it's a kayfabe bit and you wear human face paint to make yourself look like a normal person at key intervals and then try and pretend like in interviews you have a kayfabe bit where you have a a clown makeup on it's it's so hard it's even harder to invent a special type of makeup remover that only affects certain type of face paint so that you can use the makeup remover to remove the outer clown paint over the human paint without dissolving the human paint underneath it it's it's really really hard it's really hard guys but no but for real like i i really the one of the things i really liked about you know learning about these you know two idiots named joseph is the fact that they were just like relentless and i i related to that a lot like when i heard them talking about various business things that they did later which we'll get into and especially at this point in time where they would just like they would pick like two or three clubs every day like different clubs or schools or gas stations or parking lots and they would just spend all of their money and all of their time going to places handing out cd samplers flyering cars trying to get people to give a shit about their 
insane clown music. It's awesome. Like it's, I don't like the music particularly, spoiler alert, but I think it's really, really admirable that these guys have been this dedicated to doing the thing in air quotes. Well, first of all, it's almost like a deep dive explainer podcast that constantly interweaves all of this weird high concept narrative stuff about demons and fucking four eyed, four eye patched aliens and slime monster agents, even though a lot of our audience clearly just wants us to tell stories about weird pop culture stuff. And yet we continue to persist in incorporating these strange narrative elements because low key, that's the stuff that we really actually want to be doing. And, <laughs> and we and we just like realize that we could grow an audience bigger if we focused more on like nonfiction explainer content. But also second of all, yeah, I mean, regardless of what you uh regardless of how you feel about the music or as a matter of fact, almost because of the way that you feel about the music. Like if you think that Insane Clown Posse's music is like ridiculous and dumb and completely goofy, like almost because of that, like imagine if you feel that way as somebody who is like relatively open-minded and loves weird, goofy stuff and dumb shit and weird persona-based art. Imagine how like mainstream hip-hop listeners felt about that. And so in spite of or because of this, it's even more impressive because you just imagine that back in the 80s and 90s, they were just like, we're just going to be fucking weird clowns and we're just going to sing music about being clowns. And they just committed to that regardless. They built like an empire. And not only not only did they succeed, but they built like a fucking literally like like some people consider it a terrorist organization as we'll talk about later but they built like a literal like like world or like a community or like a kind of a cult but not really a cult like they built this entire thing around like we're clowns and we sing about clown stuff not only is that insanely impressive and just shows uh just a, a an astonishing amount of commitment and determination and hard work but it's like because of how goofy and stupid it is that just makes it even more impressive yeah i agree 100 percent. and uh part of me is like i wonder if it because it is so fucking crazy if that almost it it kind of laps itself like if it was 10 percent less crazy it wouldn't have been successful like it's it's so undiluted and so the perfect image of what these guys wanted like it's not something i would make ever in a million years for a multitude of reasons. And if I was in an editorial or executive position involved in this, I would have been like, guys, maybe less songs about stabbing people to death? Hmm? No? All right. Maybe, maybe just like slightly less satanic clowns? Like maybe just a couple normal songs? No? Everyone has to be satanic clown? Okay. All right. Um, okay. All of those attributes dovetail into this just ungodly devotion from people. And it's really, it's impressive that they've connected with so many people in that way like you said it's like if it was 10 percent less crazy it might not have worked and it's like kind of a perfect storm because i think you know obviously when you're literally like cycling through like cds on a rack the artwork and the the clown makeup and just the way that they looked is obviously like you know it's kind of the thumbnail it's like the thing that grabs your attention so they've got that going for them that this concept is like eye grabbing and then like in terms of the part where it started to create a community it's like people naturally want to start 
people naturally want to cosplay and dress up as things that they are into. And, you, you know, you, your, your natural progression of being a fan of something is like, oh, I'm going to be this thing for Halloween. Like when you watch a show, like the, the year after Stranger Things comes out, everybody's dressed up as Eleven and Sheriff Hopper and all this stuff. So they have a, they have a perfect uh, component of like, a bunch of people are going to start dressing up like them for Halloween. And then they're going to dress up like that when they go to concerts because it's easy. It's a very eye-catching costume, but it's also kind of easy to do because it's just painting your face. There's no like elaborate thing you have to make. You just kind of you get face paint and, you, and you're done. And so people are going to go and they're going to dress like that to go to the concerts. And then people are like seeing each other at the concerts and they're becoming friends in the context of having this face paint on. And then there's a lot of science behind the idea of like when you wear masks and cover up your face, it makes you more confident and people are able to like speak their mind more whenever they are wearing a mask. And so that, you know, in this community of people, they're able to be more confident dressed up like this. It's just this thing that was like inevitable that this was going to happen because of all these elements just working in perfect tandem with each other. Robert Bruce, Joseph's brother, suggested that the group approach a local record store owner, Alex Abis, to start a record label and start pursuing the music hustle more intently. Collectively, they co-founded Psychopathic Records in 1991. Later that year, they released an EP titled Dog Beats. The song was not particularly successful, but it did lead Joseph to meeting local area rapper Esham. And just again, for, for clarity's sake, at this point, in the story, they aren't dressed as clowns yet. They're just kind of like white dudes trying to do gangster rap, um, which was probably a little muddied from us just shit talking their clown aesthetic so much. But at this point in the story, this is you know late eighties, early nineties, and they're they're just kind of like poor man's ice cube, poor man's iced tea. After some more heat with some gang related busts and a lack of sales from their debut EP, Violent J suggested. What if we do something in the style of Esham, who was producing horror-themed rap in the greater Detroit area? This would start a long and storied history of ICP appropriating and weirdly adopting aspects of black culture even more so than they already had. But with this specific incident, it's less appropriating black culture and just saying, well, this stick is working for that guy, so fuck it, let's do it. Wait a minute, so... Are you saying that in at least an indirect way, Nightmare on My Street by the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff, in the same way that Run DMC teaming up with Anthrax and also Aerosmith to produce Walk This Way and Bring the Noise created the trend of rap rock, Nightmare on My Street contributed to the creation of ICP? I don't know when that song came out, so I can't answer that question. All I know is that Isham was doing, he would come out of a coffin, like his his bit, his kayfabe bit was that he was like in a coffin at the beginning of every set and he would like come out of the coffin and start rapping and these big t-shirts that had 666 on them and all of his raps were kind of like horror movie themed or vampire themed or zombie themed. Um, I haven't listened to much of his work, but the stuff I have heard, it just seems kind of like, what if a poor man's Glenn Danzig was trying to do rap in the 90s? Um, and so uh, Violent J had become friends with that dude and was basically like, this gangster rap shit isn't working for us, but I see the horror rap shit working for that guy. Let's just do horror rap shit. And then for some reason, well, it's not for some reason. I know why, but he had a he, he had a dream. All right, Violent J, we're going to do this. Open up Microsoft Word. All right. Doing it, Shaggy. Got it pulled up. All right. Now hit Command F. 
All right. I don't see where this is going, but uh, okay. Command F. Ah, find and replace. All right. Now find the word bitch and replace with Dracula. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They basically, they, so they switched their name from inner city posse to insane clown posse. And they, they take on these uh, clown themed makeups uh, there's two different stories behind it. One of the stories is that they used to have a clown-themed hype man, and the other story is that Violent J had a dream about being tra- chased by a clown into a giant demonic, like, anthropomorphized big tent. So pick your poison of which one of those you believe is real, but those are their kind of conflicting origin stories for why they chose clowns. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll believe the dream story. I like the, I like the dream story, yeah. And this would be the beginning of the greatest band to ever make music run a wrestling promotion, and star in a series of low-budget feature films to ever walk the planet. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our facebook group that's deep cuts podcast on facebook and the deep cuts podcast facebook group also follow us on instagram at deep cuts pod act two where did i put my cotton swabs and makeup remover 1992 saw the group beginning to record Carnival of Carnage, their album which would be their first significant movement towards becoming a successful band. The album features rappers, wait for it, Esham and Kid Rock. Oh shit, because he's from Detroit too. Both both Detroit area locals. My name is Kid. Kid Rock, the bada bang, da dang, diggy diggy dig. I I only didn't do that longer because it's like eleven at night and I'm I'm outside. Where I, I didn't I, if if I was if I wasn't scared that my neighbors were gonna wake up, I would have done that for like ten minutes. <laughs> the question is, why didn't Kid Rock and Esham embrace clown themed personas when performing on this record? I mean, I know the logistical and career reasons why they didn't, but I want a clown Kid Rock persona. You know, you know that Kid Rock was like, I I'll tell you exactly why it didn't happen because you know Kid Rock was like I ain't fucking doing that dumb shit like that's that's his that's totally his attitude fuck you Kid Rock be a clown god damn it be a clown I mean be be a, like a literal clown not the clown that you are yeah he's a fucking clown so basically this um this move didn't happen by accident right Violent J and Shaggy to Dope had a very specific strategy they would get the biggest rappers in the Detroit area to guest star on their record thereby increasing their credibility and clout they would have paid um, basically whatever it took to make this happen. And they, they gave Ishan 500 bucks to be on a song. And then they gave Kid Rock 600 bucks to be on a song. Which is really interesting because and they, and they do this again later on. I don't want to spoil it because we're going to talk about it later. Um, but this is this is like oddly like and maybe a bunch of maybe plenty of other people did this back then. And I just don't know. Uh, I'm fairly aware of like the history of hip hop or just the music industry in general. Um, and I, but I'm not like an expert. So maybe there's like, maybe this was happening long before I'm aware of it. But at least to me, this seems like it's fairly ahead of its time in that the strategy now in the hip hop industry 
and kind of just music, pop music in general, is that these record labels will have these legacy artists that are these bigger names. And then whenever they bring in new artists, the the pipeline is, okay, you're a new artist. So you're going to do an album and you're going to have features on like five of the songs with these XYZ people from this label. So, you know, somebody gets signed to to cash money records and it's like, okay, your your new album's going to come out. You're going to have Lil Wayne on this track. And then you're going to have Nicki Minaj on this track and you're going to have Drake on this track or whatever. And, uh, and that was like the pipeline. And then there, are, there are even like specifically exactly in the way that they're doing this. There are indie artists that don't have that opportunity. They're not signed to a big label. So they, they aren't part of this pipeline of like, we're just going to stick a bunch of famous, um, uh, legacy artists on your album to boost your visibility. So they'll actually pay into that system and they'll just be like, here's, fucking $50,000 to just be on my song. And people do that all the time. And that, that notably a handful of years ago, uh, Lil Dicky, he was just literally like a comedy rapper on YouTube who just nobody cared about. And then he put out an album where he basically just paid Snoop Dogg a bunch of money to be on a song. And then from that point on, his trajectory just hockey sticked where it's like now he has a show on FX and everybody knows about him. But that's his whole thing was that he just pays people a bunch of money to be on his songs as like a almost like a, you know, like a work for hire type situation. And I, I, I don't know of a lot of that going on back in the day. So it's it's interesting that they they were kind of doing that at least a decade ahead of when that was a regular practice that's done a lot. Listening to interviews with them, it really seems like Violent J is the brains of the operation and Shaggy to Dope is his best friend and the guy that hangs out with him and goes like, yeah, Jay, let's do that. And like, that's a fine dynamic. A lot of groups have like the leader and then the other guy, right? But it's interesting because both of them seem fucking dumb. But then you look at all of these things that they've done and you look at the the way that they've approached it and you even like listen to violent j talk about very deliberately like what they did and why they did it and like low-key he's kind of brilliant like he just sounds like an idiot because <laughs> he's just out here talking about magnets and how do they work and shit yeah and then you got to wonder like you got to wonder what it is you got to wonder what that what that what's really going on behind the scenes is it like is it a character where he's pretending to be dumb and in real reality it's all just kayfabe or is he just is he genuinely dumb but like he's just like a savant in this specific way where like in for the most part he's he's a meathead but like he's just very good at this specific thing yeah yeah or even just like he learned a specific set of skills coming up in the inner city in detroit being involved in gang culture and like had a knack for that strategy, which easily translates to music business stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting though. It's very interesting. Um, I mean, we've, we've talked we've talked about that on episodes before. Like, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember what episodes we've discussed that on. But just this idea of like sometimes you need to lack a certain self awareness to be so committed and confident about something that you actually succeed at it in ways that you that just wouldn't seem like you would logically because you just don't know what you're talking about or what you're doing. And yet it's like this weird snake eating its own tail situation where because of that, you are uniquely skilled at it. Yep. It's like the reverse of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but basically, so they do this thing. They pay Ishan and, uh, and Kid Rock to be on their song. And then... It, it works. It gets picked up by a, this local chain of uh, music retailers. They had like, I think like 13 or 14 stores all throughout the greater 
uh, Detroit area. It gets picked up for radio play. Like it, it starts to kind of catch a little wind in its sails. And right before this happens, uh, our boy John, aka Master J, aka John Kick Jazz, leaves the band. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the dynamic of that was because it seems like because the way it's written, and I don't know if this is just a quirk of the way you wrote it or if it's really kind of ambiguous like this, but it didn't seem it didn't seem clear what the nature of him quitting was. If he quit, if he just quit right before this stuff happened. Or if he kind of knew it was happening and he almost like quit because he just like didn't want to, he just was overwhelmed by it. And he's like, ah, I don't know if I want to be into all this stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know the specifics of, of that, but the, the stuff that I've read makes it seem that he like kind of didn't have the vision that it was going to blow up. And then kind of was just like, this is so much fucking work. I don't want to do this. Like, this is your guy's thing. Like, this is fucking stupid. Clowns. I don't give a shit about this. Fucking Diamond Hands. John... Uh, what was his name? John Kick Jazz? Diamond Hands Kick Jazz? Diamond Hands. <laughs> uh, all of this basically just left Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope as a posse of two. Their drive and determination, however, paid off. Their strategy worked. Detroit enveloped the twin jokers with loving arms. Not wanting to rest on their laurels, the boys rolled straight into their next project, the EP Beverly Kills 50187. This time, I wonder how much that name contributed to their success, like because it was just two guys, but they had kept the name Posse. And when I, I, I just speaking from personal experience, when I was a kid, before I before I became more familiar with them and actually un, like got to know the specifics of them, I thought that they were like a huge crew of guys, it, like just the, just the name and sort of the ambiguity of the face paint. Like I thought that they were just like a bunch of dudes. And I wonder if I wonder if like people thought that they were like a crew of of guys and if that somehow helped them in some way. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that. Um, what's better, a bunch of clowns or two clowns? I don't know. I feel like if it was if if it was like two guys, you're just like, oh, these these just two fucking clown guys like this is so dumb. But if you think it's like this huge crew of clowns, you're just like, oh, fuck, like the fucking circus is coming to town, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is you've got Insane Clown Posse on one hand and the Hollywood Undead on the other. Yes, except... I would much rather go see Insane Clown Posse. Oh, for sure. But the Hollywood Undead is like, ICP is fucking goofy. And it's like, but then somehow you're able to out-goofy ICP. While trying to take it seriously. Then you've got the Hollywood Undead. Yeah. So this time around for Beverly Kills 50187, they add a third member again trying to replace John Kick Jazz. And this guy was a he was a fan that they met outside of a venue the previous year. So they add him as a third member. Andrew, any guesses on what you think this random fan that they got to be in their clown themed hip hop group's name is? Like his real name or his No, his code name, his stage name. Well, I see it on the script, so I can't really guess. <laughs> Just take a wild guess. Just take a guess. If you if you were uh, inducted into the Hall of Clown fame and ga- gr- gained entry into the Insane Clown Posse, what would your clown name be? I've already said it. Papa Pricey, the context clown. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you guys, what you're missing here... <laughs> In the middle of songs, just coming in. <laughs> you see, the reason why they're saying ninja. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, this time their their new homie. He's named Grease E. Greasy. The thing I want to know. I couldn't. I couldn't reasonably guess this because I saw it already. So there's just like there's no way of guessing. The thing I want to know though, the the guess is is this a name he already had prior to this, just as a fan of them? Is it something he made up himself whenever they asked him to be in the group, or did they dub him Greasy? <laughs> I'm going with that. He made it up when he, I I think before this he was just like. Eric Schopenhauer, the sad, lonely kid. His name is 100% Eric Schopenhauer. That is 100% what his name is. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, his name is, is Eric Schopenhauer, and he was a fan. He met them after a show, and he, ah, oh, it's not Eric Schopenhauer. Do you want to know what his real name is? What is it? Eric with a K, Olson. Eric Olson was his, is his real name. Eric Schopenhauer is a much better name. I was going to say every 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 like white guy who is like every every white guy who's like some kind of weird like horror themed or like creepy persona or wears some kind of masks or has or has some kind of like character their real name is always like some some like dorky sounding like like uh like Polish or Russian or or like Jewish name. 100%. Yep. At one point during the tour that they were that they organized supporting Beverly Kills, um Violent J inadvertently created something that would become a, a, an integral piece of the quickly developing ICP mythology. He he referred to the cr- the crowd that they were performing in front of as juggalos during the performance of the song The Juggler. Um, which, in case you couldn't tell by the way I pronounced the juggler, it's not the juggler. It's J U G. It's J U G G L A. It's juggler. It's the juggler. Which is so funny. I mean, remove any of the historical, remove any of the historical context of juggalos, uh, and and just forget any of that. The idea of turning the profession slash hobby of juggling into like a cool gangsta thing is kind of hilarious. Yeah, it's really dorky. <laughs> it's really dorky. Um, so the the weirdest part of this though is that this this name, the Juggalos, it like it catches on like wildfire. So uh, you know this this weirdly became a, a staple of their live act like overnight um it's really strange it, it just kind of like caught like wildfire of this this idea that for some reason icp fans just really loved being called juggalos um which is in line with the the you know the the the, the idea of somebody i guess being into clowns and thinking they're cool and scary and whatnot but it's still just really fucking funny to me that they're called that um the uh, the Beverly Kills EP sells fairly well, and the band starts kind of gaining a substantial cult following. Greasy, however, leaves the band right before the record comes out. Greasy, you fucked up. <laughs> you done fucked up, Grease. You and you and John Kick Jazz in the in the Hall of Fame of biggest chumps. <laughs> biggest chumps. Associated with clown themed music specifically. Like they're no, they're no Pete Best, but they're, they're definitely like, what the fuck is, are you doing, bro? What the fuck are you doing? Well, it's like, it's kind of like how for the first 100 practice episodes of Deep Cuts, we had that third host, uh, 
slimy Jackson. And uh, and you know, he did the first hundred dry runs where we weren't recording. And then right before we dropped Stratemeyer, he was like, you know what? This is you guys thing. I was on board with the explainers. But then you started talking about space demons and I'm out, guys. And look, and he, he's he's fucking dead now. He Slimy Jackson's fucking dead, dude. He he got killed or was it suicide? I don't remember. It was both. <laughs> he, he he died by homosuicidal. Mm hmm. Yeah, he had he had uh, he did the, you know, the thing. That they say that like old that thing you hear when you were like in middle school or whatever, or it's like if you sit on your hand until it falls asleep and then you jerk off, it's like somebody else is doing it. Except he did that and then he stabbed himself in the face <laughs> with his hand or his penis. <laughs> like did his did his dick just break off and in a in a fit of rage he stabbed himself to death with his dick penis? Why would it be his penis? <laughs> So he stabbed himself to death with his own hand? Like it turned into a knife? And he just impaled himself? What the fuck? He sat on his hand until it fell asleep, but instead of jerking off, he grabbed a knife and stabbed himself in the face. Oh, okay, alright. Yeah. Yeah, that, that premise is sound. That premise works. <laughs> why would it, why would you jump to thinking that his penis killed him? I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm out here. It's late at night. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> I mean, I've been getting some weird messages. You never know. You're getting messages from your penis? <laughs> Maybe they're my penis. Maybe they're other people's penises. I don't know. You're getting death threats from your penis? <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe maybe somebody out there that just has three penises is just like sending me death threats. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> what is that foreshadowing? <laughs> I don't know, but I literally have been getting death threats and they're signed at the bottom from somebody and it says I have three penises at the bottom. That sounds concerning. We should we should look into that. We should definitely pick up on that narrative thread in a later episode. The, the Mystery Treehouse has a has a new case. <laughs> um so the the group, you know, Insane Clown Posse, which, you know, used to have John Kick Jazz and used to have Greasy in it, but is now currently just our boy uh violent j and our other boy uh shaggy to dope um they start getting some media attention because the the record starts kind of blowing up a little bit but they all start getting some media attention um because a few journalists hold on a second i have to i feel like i have to come in because i feel like we take it for granted that people know what we're saying when we say shaggy to dope and they understand why we're pronouncing it that way. But I feel like I have to say, for any new listener that's just coming into the show, if you go back and listen to our three-part Chris Hansen episode, Chris Hansen had ICP on his live stream show on YouTube, and he actually thought that Shaggy Too Dope's name was Shaggy to Dope, and he called him that throughout the entire live stream, and we've been saying it ever since. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Papa Pricey Context Clown. Um, <laughs> I feel like Papa Pricey Context Clown, um, Debovid18, and uh, the the weird cabbage guy uh, need to go on an adventure together that probably involves long breads of some kind. I mean, Papa Pricey the Context Clown, context clown needs to give Debovid18 some lessons because... He said that he was going to fact check that whole episode, and he never ended up fact checking anything. He, he never. Yeah, he, he didn't <laughs> say any fact checking. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, back to the script. So they they um, they start getting some attention, and Rolling Stone and All Music specifically uh, start to dissect and express concern over the fact that Juggalo uh, is very similar <laughs> to sounding to the racist term Jigaboo. Um, so they they kind of the, the beginnings of the racist discussion start here where people are kind of like, bro, are you saying juggalos? So you can say jigaboo without saying juggalo or without saying the word like this is fucking weird. Um, you and I had a, some, a, a brief conversation about that before we started. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I, so th- the ninja thing is undeniable. Like there's no, I mean, that's just literally what it is. It's like, it's a very common trope in hip hop music to use the N word a lot. And so in making this music, whereas there, <laughs> there's kind of a gamut that people run, white rappers run all th- there's, there's a, there's a spectrum from, I just, we just can't say that. And so we don't use it all the way to, we just straight up say the N word in our music, even though we're white, which some white rappers or non black rappers do that. Notably, controversially, Takashi69 uses the N word in his music constantly, even though he's not black. But ICP's solution was every time that you would say that or have the instinct to say that, instead, we'll just say ninja because it phonetically sounds similar. Uh, now with this, while I, while I don't rule out the possibility that this is exactly what it is, one thing I'll say to play devil's advocate is that the one music critic who said this, there was one guy who made this observation and he's a white dude and he's very specifically looks like a very particular type of white dude. And so as far as I ever knew in, as far as my knowledge of this ever was, Juggalo is a juggling pun on the word gigolo. And it's basically like, we're, we're gigolos, but we're juggalos. So we're like clown prostitutes or something or clown pimps or whatever it is. This, this thought never crossed my mind. And I also never saw anybody saying this. Now, the guy who said this, the guy who said that they were attempting to use it as a replacement for this other word. The only thing I'll say about that is, if you look at this guy, you know how there's that very particular type of liberal racism where a white person will make an accusation of racism sort of apropos of nothing that makes you think, I feel like that's just you thinking that. And that's where your mind went. And I kind of feel like that's what this is. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> I don't have... I, I looked around, too, after we had our brief discussion about it, and I couldn't find really a whole lot of substantial or compelling evidence to back this up either. Um, I I don't know that I think that it is or isn't necessarily them doing it, but to me, it's almost irrelevant because even if it was true, that racial slur is horrible and has a long lineage of being used to put down people but it is not nearly as damaging and impactful as the N-word. And they use the N-word all the time by saying ninja. So it's a moot point. Like, it, it literally doesn't even matter if the juggalo thing is a pun on the actual racist term or a gigolo juggling pun. Um, the ninja thing is, like, why have... Th- what? Why is this still a thing? <laughs> this is crazy to me. Um but over the course of their, you know, run or their almost 30 year run as a, as a, as a group, they have this kind of mini lingo. Like, you know, we've talked about before, you know, cults 
when you get indoctrinated into a cult, they change your name, they change your vocabulary, they give you this new outlook on life that is kind of insular or circular in nature. And the juggalos have aspects of that to their culture where they have, I would say the three, aside from them referring to themselves as juggalos as a name, the three main catchphrases or kind of pieces of vernacular are the fact that they use ninja all the time. Um, and then the other two, which you may or may not be familiar with as a listener is, um, their two kind of like call and response greetings are most motherfucking clown love where they just yell that all the time at each other of like it's it's basically just like love everybody but it's most motherfucking clown love (laughs) and then the other which andrew and i will demonstrate for you is that it's a call and response where one person goes whoop whoop and the other person goes whoop whoop (laughs) exactly so those three and also this isn't a term but also the just the concept of family oh man they love family family baby family uh i i i want to speak more to the what you were talking about what you were saying about uh the similarities to cults but also i will quickly tell the story uh i've talked about this on i talked about this on the chris hansen episode when we got to the stuff about icp as an aside, I was talking about how my brother is a juggalo. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna talk more about personal experience and growing up and all that stuff with ICP later on. But really quickly, I'll just say that, uh, my brother is a juggalo. That's the, uh, that's the title of your memoir. My brother, <laughs> my is, a brother juggalo. is a juggalo. The Andrew Price story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my, so w- one time years later, like w- whenever I was in my twenties or late teens or whatever, uh, and I was far long, not into ICP anymore, but my brother was still heavily into them. And, uh, a f- uh, this was back in the days of people just would chat on AOL instant messenger. And so, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time would talk to my brother on aim. And one time she asked him if she asked him what, what being a juggalo was all about. And his response verbatim was, you know, murder and family. <laughs> I love that. And that was like one of those, that was one of those quotable things where we said that for years to come. So next up for the terrible twosome was their second studio release, Ringmaster, released March 8th, 1994. The album was actually a modest hit and enabled the group entrance into larger and larger venues. In 1995, the duo signed to Jive Records, a sub-label of Battery Records, and released Riddlebox, their third studio record. Jive was, well, not enthusiastic and basically didn't promote the release of the record at all, which led the duo to, wait for it, self-promote, basically. What they did is uh, they, they, they picked a, they had a map of America and they, as long as well as their manager, they, they picked a, they had a dart and Violent J threw the dart at the map. And whatever the, the biggest city near the dart was, they would go there and basically prove to the record label that they could make ICP the, the obsession of everyone at the fucking, in that city, just through their sheer hustle. So the, the dart landed in Texas near Dallas. So, um, they basically just made a fucking, they got in a van and they drove to fucking Dallas and they stayed there for like two months. And, uh, 
without ruining it, it worked. Uh, basically by the time, the end of their time there, uh, they were averaging selling about like 1500 copies of their record a week through the various Texas uh, music r- retail chains. I mean, God himself guided that dart because can you imagine if, if they, if they had landed in like Los Angeles or San Diego or New York City or, you know, Philadelphia or like they wouldn't have been into that shit. Nobody would have been like, yeah, this fucking clown rap. They, uh, it, I guess the, 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 but would you say people in Texas would be? I don't think my instinct would be that people in Texas would love clown rap. I, I think, I think that there would be a bigger, there would be a bigger collection of people that would be into that in Texas than any the other bigger metro- metropolitan cities. I mean, I'm from Arizona. People in Arizona love ICP, and I never would have thought that that would have worked there, but it fucking does. So who the fuck knows? Um, but yeah, we're going to listen to a little clip of an interview of them talking about this time period. Around 95, Master P had it. You know, we started to see that happen. But um, we were just doing, focusing on our world, you know, and, and uh, coming up the same way we always have, which are pressing up CD samplers. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like we press up, Fuck a hundred thousand samples and give them away. We leave them sitting on top of a payphone anywhere. Leave them in a the sidewalk. We we'd attack a high school at three o'clock. The school would be letting out everywhere. Every club, bands. every high school, everywhere. We'd have our bands at all across three, America. At all three exits when the kids would come out of the high school, we just See, hand like, them samplers. That was a problem with everybody in Detroit. There was like, okay, our competition is this guy in Detroit, this guy in Detroit, this guy in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? We was like, our competition is Ice Cube. Our competition is Ice T. Our competition is uh, fucking BDP. Our competition is Luke down in Miami. You know what I'm saying? That's the mentality we had. Right. Our competition was nationwide, not fucking local bullshit. We had you know Detroit. We had Detroit a lot. lot. We we had built Yo. that up, you know. And uh, when we signed with Jive to put out the Ringmaster Riddlebox album, what we did was we threw a, a dart on a map. You know, we we straight up blindfolded our manager, threw a dart on a map. It landed on Dallas, Texas. So we took our advance and we bought these three vans. We had them tricked out with the album cover on the side. They had the fat tires. And we drove those vans, filled them with samplers and posters, drove all three of them to Dallas, Texas. We stayed in Dallas for like two months. With the objective of like, let's get as hot here as we yeah, are back we home? Show, we wanted to show Jive Records. It was not an option. Right. We wanted to show Jive Records that we could do this anywhere. Yeah. As long as you work it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Detroit. Now we're going to sh- pick a city, any city, and we're going to blow it up like we did Detroit, you know? That's always so, been a problem with every fucking label ever. They never knew how to market us. Never. Besides us. We're the only ones that know how to market, market and we, us. And we hit them high schools every day. We were at another high school with all three bands. Hand out thousands of samplers. We go to the cruising like strips where all the cars box. cruise up and down the boulevard. Hand that shit out. We go walk through malls. We, anywhere there's people. You see his yeah. hand doing like this? That's real shit. That's the how you, you be getting them out. <laughs> And like anywhere there was people, you know, we'd be up in it. There was a little fair going on, one of them little neighborhood Ooh, fairs. They get it. And um, we, uh, uh, so then we got Riverbox up over 100,000. We had Dallas and Detroit. Now. Mm-hmm. And so um, at the time, uh, Jive Records like, was like, you know what, man? We want another album from you guys. You guys got this up over 100,000 now. We want another album. We're we were like, like, fuck! Fuck you, man. We ain't giving you another album. You, know, you guys never believed in us. You just put us out locally. We right. did the rest. And they were like, They tried well, putting out chicken buckets and all this bullshit. They were like, <laughs> shit. We was, have, uh, we have, ridiculous. Um, we have, uh, you know, they're like, we got a contract. You need to give us that album. At the same time, we told them, fuck you. We're not giving you nothing. There was a big standoff. And um, 
our manager was talking to Disney. Right. We didn't know. We didn't that. even know it at the time. We had no idea. What up? And uh, next thing you know, Disney's like, man, shit, we're Hollywood Records. We're owned by Disney. We can get you off Jive. That's no problem. Mm. So they got that Disney. They got money. like a, what's They'll called buy anybody. A, they just bought it out. Yeah, they got an override. Yeah. They got some points course, on the new album. Disney. You know what I'm saying? And they gave us a whole new advance. But what he's not saying though is like when uh. Our dude Julian Raymond from Disney, you know what I'm saying, from Hollywood Records, bought us up, bought our contract out from Jive. You know what I'm saying? He was like, yo, check it out. Yes, we're Disney. But at the same token, we're our own company. Mm-hmm. Yo, Disney does not run us. You know what I'm saying? We run them. They'll tell you anything They're to like, get you go. No, 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 no. But he was like, True to the form, you know what I'm saying? He was being honest as shit, you know what I'm saying? And we love him to this day for that. But you then know you what were saying? so offensive that Disney still like, had to take action. He's like, he's like, yo, Disney owns Merrimax. Disney owns New Line Cinema. Disney puts out Jason and Freddy movies. Right. You know what I'm saying? You don't know that shit, but they do. Because it's on yeah. different, different companies, you know what I'm saying? But we got Hollywood records. Motherfuckers don't know that it's Disney, but it is. You know what I'm saying? But we run our record company, so don't worry about Disney. Yeah, basically, got they, they assured us that they weren't going to fuck with the lyrics. The 100%. exact situation that happened. I'm not even laughing necessarily because of how just dorky they are. I'm laughing because I know these guys. They remind me so much of so many people that I've known and met. All right, so there's so much to break down there. But first, I just want to talk about one thing. Violent J pronounces the word Disney with three syllables. He says Disney. Disney. Disney didn't, they didn't know that we were talking to Disney. And then Shaggy says it with two, but with a D in the middle. He says Didney. 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 Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? Didney. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? You did, you feel me? You know what I'm saying? Didney. Disney. I would listen. I would listen to ICP like explain basic concepts of the world all day. It's the same thing that they did in that Chris Hansen interview, where they were just like explaining that being a pedophile is bad. Where they were just like, "Yo, we found out about this guy Davi Vanity, and we were like, you know what? Being into kids is wrong, and we were like, we hate this. I hate pedophiles. It's it. It's like the 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 number one thing that I hate." Liking kids when you're an adult is a bad thing. And it's like, it's the same thing here where they're just like, yo, you know, they they told us they were like, yo, we're owned by Disney. (laughs) The thing is, is that Disney owns all kinds of shit. They own Miramax. They own New Line Cinema. Disney putting out Freddy and Jason movies. People don't know that, but it's true. And so Hollywood Records, people don't know that it's owned by Disney. Like (laughs) just explaining these like basic things that everybody is aware of as if it's like this new mind blowing information, which is which is funny because they'll go on their most famous song is literally that. And, and that's that's really how they have conversations. They're like they're like weird clown. They're they're the they're, they're the killer clowns from outer space. And they're learning all these human concepts for the first time. And they're explaining to people like, did you know that companies will own like have like sub labels where they like put out different things that they don't want to be under the name brand. And so they come up with a different name brand and they put stuff out on that so that people don't know that it's by that. Um, It's amazing. I love it. Uh, I it's so it's so charming to me that their their degree of kind of awe and wonder about simple ass shit 
Um, but I, I also kind of wanted to talk about how, like, Riddlebox is the record that really broke them out. The joke's on you, Riddlebox. <laughs> um, you know, like, the great Malenko is their, the runaway success record, but you don't, that's the one that, like, made them superstars, but you don't get there without kind of putting in the elbow grease and, and literally, like, throwing a dart of the map and going to a fucking crazy place and just, like, willing this thing into existence. And I think that that, like, I've been thinking about that a lot recently, just because, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we've been able to accomplish a lot with this show, and I've been able to accomplish a lot with Nicole with the comics stuff I've been doing and the various TV things that I'm pursuing and movie stuff. Like, I, I, my and Papa Pricey, the context clowns pilot just got optioned. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and I've been thinking a lot about kind of like the amount of, back labor that it takes in order to set yourself up for being available and ready and and having the proper amount of momentum to be able to capitalize off of one of those things when you get an actual break and and I just I just love the fact that they were like oh fuck this record label isn't promoting our thing this is it there we're we're over we're done fuck it we'll just do it ourselves again we'll just go to the wherever we need to go to and we will will this fucking thing into happening i love it it's it's deeply inspirational to me and if maybe there was a little less clowning and a little less problematic racist language i might even be into it on a serious level not just a conceptual i don't think you would be i don't i don't i think even with less clowns I don't think you would be into this music. No, I'm I'm not. I'm not into it. No, I'm really not. In 1997, Alex Abis parlayed a record contract buyout. The Disney-owned Hollywood Records paid a purported $1 million to claim Insane Clown Posse. But that was to be short-lived. During the record store signing debut of their new album... The boys in black and white were informed that Disney had canceled the record, tour, and promotional phase. Disney was taking heat from conservative groups about multiple progressive or controversial shows, theme park attractions, or musical acts that they were exploiting at the time. And then, well, they just decided that ICP was bringing too much heat and canned the project, plain and simple. All right, so I need to go on a mini rant here and... To a certain degree, preaching to the choir on this. I don't think anyone who listened to this show is like needs to be convinced of this. And I bet you didn't think that this episode about the insane clown posse was going to get political. But right now, currently, we're in this moment where essentially a lot of people who have never in their lives faced any adversity or any criticism or backlash for anything that they've ever said because their beliefs system and moral structure has for the last 100 200 years been the most commonly accepted ideology and worldview in mainstream society and culture and suddenly the things that they're doing and saying are getting backlash because the Overton window has shifted to sort of have the pendulum swinging to mix metaphors a little bit in the other direction and when faced with even the smallest amount of backlash for things that they're saying, they're suddenly freaking out and acting like a book that they've never read is coming to life or that we're living in Nazi Germany because they're being silenced for expressing their opinions. And so most recently, as a lot of people know, and as if you listen to this episode as it comes out, it's kind of like a new story that's happening currently. Uh, an actress named Gina Carano was 
sort of unceremoniously fired from a role playing a character on a Disney Plus show called The Mandalorian, essentially because she said that the way that she was being treated online was akin to the way that Jewish people were treated uh, in Nazi Germany. And uh, that wasn't it. That's not the only thing that she said. She has a, she had a history of saying transphobic. And- well, that but that was the specific thing that she got fired for. She said that and she was as a result fired. And and what what your point even you, you that supports my what I'm trying to say even more, because she had said all these things. She had this track record of saying things for the last several months. And even having said those things, how she sort of mocked the support of presenting pro- pronouns, people and some of the other things that she said, despite all those things, she never received any um, she never she never saw f- faced any um consequences for them like she just that was happening for months and nothing happened and it was only when she said this one specific thing that she was finally fired um after months of controversial things that people were that people were very critical of and so she was fired and now uh you know she and a huge uh a huge movement of of anti-politically correct fans or whatever are saying like people are getting fired and banned and canceled for being conservative, um, which is not true at all. She she was she was expressing conservative views for months and months and nothing happened. And then she said one specific thing that was seen as a liability to a corporation and they fired her because that's just what companies do. It, it, it's a logical step for somebody who's done something very controversial for a company to sever ties with them. Um, but, 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 but people are acting like this is like some new thing or like we're living in 1984 because they've never experienced this happening to people that they agree with or that say things that they think are, are okay. But this is censorship like this or repercussions for saying something controversial or repercussions for saying something that goes against the grain of mainstream, uh, morality has been happening for hundreds of years. It's just never been it's just been the the other way around. It's been um puritanical or fundamentalist or conservative uh mainstream culture canceling or censoring people for expressing counterculture views for you know women expressing sexuality. Jessica Beale was written off of Seventh Heaven because she posed topless. Um, and not even fully topless either. Like that makes it seem like she was like full on nudity. She was in like a men's magazine, like scantily clad, like, you know, like it wasn't like even a full on nudity. It was just like, you were in fucking Maxim. You're fired. Get out of here. Some, some, some news anchor on, uh, MSNBC got fired because he called Sarah Palin an idiot. Like, these th- going back even further, like people were fired whenever they were outed as gay and like all these things like this has been happening for so long. It's just now it's happening to you or you are facing repercussions for things that you're saying. And suddenly it's like, oh, we're 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 basically living in Nazi Germany. It's ridiculous. And then and this is this is like this is a perfect example because it's so goofy and dumb, like the stakes of. Uh, the stakes of a woman being fired for expressing sexuality or someone being fired because they've been outed as gay, the stakes on that are pretty high. But these dudes were kicked, were fired by Disney because they talked about creepy clowns. Like, and, 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 and these like mom watchdog groups were like, this is going to corrupt our children. Look how scary they look. It, it's, a, it's insane. 
Would you say? Would you say, Andrew? Would you say that it is insane <laughs> clown posse? Yes. And, and we we we've talked about this on the Britney Spears episode specifically, but I I even hearken back a little bit further back to uh just this random memory that I've sort of plucked out of the ether that there was this um this episode of the uh uh I'm, I'm blanking on his name um he's a he's a British chat show host that has that has the name of a famous Michael Douglas uh the Michael Douglas show uh back in the 70s. Uh, Gene Simmons was on it in sort of the early days of Kiss, whenever they were full kayfabe of just literally pretending like they were demons. And the whole point of the episode was he comes on, he says a bunch of shocking things. Everyone's like, he just said that he loves Satan. And it's like, it's, it's so absurd. It's like these, he's just saying it on purpose to get a rise out of you. Like they're just, they're just, it's just, it's just like goofy improv. And that's and that's ICP's whole thing too. Like they're they're shock artists. Like they make songs where they just say like the most shocking thing to get a rise out of people in order to sell albums and get kids interested in them. Like when I was a kid, like I wanted I wanted to be involved in anything that talked about weird satanic shit. Like if it was something talking about the devil or had some weird satanic imagery, like I was all about it cuz it was like it was just like the only form of rebellion that I had. Like the the only the only form of rebellion you can have whenever you are a relatively normal kid growing up in like the suburbs don't have a lot of it like problems don't have a lot of like adversity to face the only thing you can push back against is like mainstream um like mainstream ideology like pushing back against like the predominantly religious community that you live in and all these things. So that's why I liked it. I just literally liked it because I just was like, this is the opposite of what all these people are saying around me and preaching and saying is like the right thing to do. So I'm just going to, yeah, fucking ICP, you keep talking about Satan. And it's just so absurd to me that there's these mom groups who are like, they're going to make our kids go to hell. Like it's, it's, it's absurd. So yeah, I, this is this is not a mini rant. This was a very long rant, but this is this has always happened. There has always been censorship. There has always been like people facing consequences for saying controversial things. It's just it's just never the 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 spotlight has never been on you, and so suddenly you think that this is like the world's changing and censorship is going bad. No, it's literally no different. It's just the 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 priorities of what we find controversial have changed, and suddenly for the first time in your fucking life, you are getting you are. F- you were getting scrutinized about these like blatantly offensive things that you're saying. A new deal was set up at Island Records and The Great Malenko was produced there and ultimately sold 1.7 million copies. Island also helped produce a documentary titled Shockumentary, which propelled sales to new heights. And now we're going to watch a clip from it. Once they start listening to ICP, they stop listening to other music. They listen exclusively to ICP, and they take it quite seriously. I look into the faces of our fans, and I see that they've been touched by the Dark Carnival the same way that I've been.
Well, my name's Vince Monaster. I'm 17 years old. My room, I guess it's just a collection of ICP stuff. You know, I take pride in it. Number one, most important, would have to be the Dog Beach poster. Violent J, uh, a couple years back, drew that himself in uh, his uh, living room. This head here I got autographed at uh, Hot Hits. This is just my chicken. <laughs> a couple years ago, I found it in my uh, attic. So I decided to hang him up by a noose and stick him on my light. The chicken hunting song's just fresh. That's just a representation of the whole meaning of ICP. It's just, it's so fresh. All these comic books represent ICP from just chilling, being normal guys, and how the government screwed them over and stuck them down in the toxic waste dumps, and how now they're wicked cons and they're ruling Southwest Delray. These are mad fresh. These are what ICP is all about. These are the freshest. <laughs> They're the freshest, Andrew. They're the freshest. These comic books might as well be a foot-long Vegetalite Subway sandwich with the longest bread of all time because they are fresh. <laughs> Eat fresh, insane clown long breads. Uh, so... One, I want to talk about the fact that that was like the most 1994 thing that's ever been made. Oh yeah, that guy's that that guy's room is like that might as well like if you just needed to explain to an alien what the 90s was, you just show him a picture of that guy. Like the most efficient way of doing that is showing him a picture of that guy's room, and the alien would be like, "Ah, I get it. I will go back to my home planet now and and initiate the destruction sequence of Earth." <laughs> Yeah, but it's just it's just so fresh. What do you think that guy's doing now? Vincent whatever Vincent Malloy, is that what he said his name was? I don't even remember now. What do you think he's doing? He he works at a dump. <laughs> ICP would go on a nationwide tour and they would finally make some money. And in an endearing twist of fate, they made so much money that they bought each other houses. That is adorable. That's the first thing I'm going to do. <laughs> buy, buy, buy one of the insane clown posse members a house? I'm buying you a house. First thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. You have kids. That is, there's no way that that's true. If we, if we, if they have a house, <laughs> you buy me a house just to have me not complain about how hot it is anymore. <laughs> Central air. Yeah, uh, that's adorable. I'm, I love the fact that they were just like, we're two breast bros. We're going to buy each other houses with all this money we made from touring. As the tour progressed, Bruce continued to, unfortunately, run afoul of the law. He was arrested for beating an audience member 30 times with a microphone and getting into a fight with a man in a Waffle House in Indiana. In 1998, he was emotionally on his last legs and he suffered a panic attack while on stage and was carried off where he deliriously cut his dreadlocks off. After he cut his dreadlocks off and had this panic attack, he, he returned home, left the tour, and then when he was at his house back in Detroit, he had another panic attack, which then prompted him to check into a Michigan mental health facility. After recovering, the band would go on to work on their next full-length record, The Amazing Jekyll Brothers. Attempting to up the ante and be seen as, in air quotes, real rappers, they reached out to Snoop Dogg and Old Dirty Bastard to try and do the exact same thing they used to do, where they would kind of pay people to be on tracks and legitimize themselves as artists. So, um, the craziest part about all this is, you guessed it, it worked. They paid Snoop Dogg 
$40,000 and they paid ODB $30,000 to both appear on the record. Um, and, and interestingly, the weirdest thing about this is that like ODB low key didn't do what they asked him to do. Like he didn't write a rap. He didn't do anything. He just kind of mumbled over a song and just kind of like said a bunch of stuff. And then they cut it all up and re-edited it to make it into a rap to put on the song. And then they rewrote the rest of the song around him. So they changed the name of the song to, you guessed it, bitches. I feel like this is as good a time as any to to spin some tracks for you, Davy Boy. This era is the end of my uh, love affair with ICP. I had uh, I didn't have any of the early stuff. I wasn't like some ICP. You weren't partying up on the hill, as it were. No, nah, wasn't on. Wasn't partying up on the hill. I I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. Hang, I wasn't partying up at the hill at Beverly Kills nine oh five seven one or whatever. Um, but it was the it was like the first three albums. So my era was having Riddlebox, the Great Malenko, and my personal favorite, and the the new record that was out at the time, the Amazing Jekyll Brothers. That was actually my more than the Great Malenko. That was the one that I was really into, and uh, I that was the end for me. Like I never kept up with them after that. So I I haven't heard other than Miracles. I haven't heard any ICP out music past that, which that album came out in 1999. So I'm going to play you a selection of classic ICP tracks from my childhood brief stint of being into ICP. And am I voting on this and I'm saying this is good or bad or am I just giving reactions? Either one. I I, I have a feeling that uh, if you're voting, there's going to be a pretty consistent um, verdict on all of them. Uh, so... Um, so this song, Chicken Hunting. My first question right out the gate is, is Chicken Hunting an allusion to the slang term for a prostitute slash oral sex chicken head? It could be. I, I'm going to I'm going to just straight out of the gate admit I have no idea. Um, I think this is from I think this is from Riddlebox. Yes, it's from Riddlebox. Chicken Hunting from from the from Riddlebox. Oh man! Oh, this is this is the slaughterhouse remix, by the way. <laughs> yep, yep. Just, just that's that's one thing about ICP that we haven't really talked about is is just hyper the hyper violence. Well, the hyper violence, but also they really they talk about this a lot in their music, and this is one song where they really harp on it. But they really hate rednecks and hillbillies, and they talk about like there a lot of the a lot of their songs talk about like killing hillbillies. Like they they see hillbillies and rednecks as like just really backwards like bigoted people that are just awful. It's also interesting that they're wearing so in terms of uh, again discussing the racial overtones of what their performance, uh, the visual iconography of of their performance tactics. They're wearing black and white clown face makeup, but they're also wearing white gloves that are synonymous with minstrel shows and specifically blackface. And also they're like, they're, they're dread, like in these early days, like they have dreadlocks. They're wearing like hemp sweatshirts. Like they're just fully like up, like going full force with like rate, like almost like reggae style. I feel like there's an alternate dimension where like, this is just totally not ICP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was gonna say this is us. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say specifically. I feel like there's an alternate dimension where like. If this had been given to me when I was, like, nine or something, it just would have, like, blown my socks off, and I just would have, like... It would have set me on a different trajectory or something, and I don't even really know why, because I don't like this at all. I'm I'm that alternate dimension that you're describing me, because I did listen to this. It did blow my mind. I loved it because of just how, like, horror-themed it was, and it did launch me on a different path from you. That's true. But did it really launch me on a... On a you, we're basically on the same fucking path. It's not that different. Yeah, but I, um... I, ha- I have dr- I have drank exclusively sparkling water for the last year. Can you say that? No, I can't. So there you go. Well, I guess... The, well, no, that's the difference, right? If I had listened to, uh... If I had listened to Insane Clown Posse Chicken Hunting Slaughterhouse remix at age fucking 12 or 14 or however old I was when it would have come out uh, maybe I'd be married with two kids right now I don't know maybe I'd be more stable I don't know maybe I'd be living in a place that wasn't infested with cockroaches I don't know maybe I would have gone to school at some point I don't know if you know this Arizona we don't got schools there um, so this song it's called Piggy Pie okay this is from uh, the great Malenko I, I honestly I didn't I didn't I really did not think too deeply about the meaning of these songs if there even if there if there were any meaning maybe it's just another song about hating hillbillies <laughs> <laughs> this is just so not my thing <laughs> this is just so not what I give a fuck about. Yeah, nah, this ain't, this ain't, this ain't my bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And then this, uh, this song is called Willy Bubba. They, they, I, I can't stress enough how Are much. all of these songs just anti-redneck songs? That's a lot of their music. Like, I, it was weirdly, we didn't talk about that in, in the episode so far, but like, they hate rednecks. That's like a main theme of their song. Um, this is this is this is from an album. Uh, this is from a uh, uh, a mixtape called Forgotten Freshness, that, which was like they throughout the years they've released multiple volumes of this. It's a it's a mixtape of a bunch of like random boot uh, not bootleg B sides and like songs that didn't make it onto albums um, and demos and things like that. And um, they released like twelve volumes of this. But whenever I was a kid, this was the only one that was out. Um, it's the it's it's the first Forgotten Freshness. The, the, I hope that they had like late night infomercials where they just parodied now that's what I call music but with forgotten freshness if they didn't I'm disappointed in them I hope I hope they did as well but this is this is another song about talking shit about rednecks You know how they have like certain songs that they. It's a song about hazing a uh, ex- uh, new student and beating the shit out of him because he's from Kentucky. You know how they have those songs? Like, I feel like YMCA is purportedly one of them, where whenever our government illegally detains prisoners of war without habeas corpus rights and just keep them without charging them for years at a time in black site facilities all over the world as a means of torturing them in a, in a futile attempt at gaining reliable intelligence. This is the music they play. Now we're into the real shit. The 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 amazing Jekyll Brothers. And this 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 song this first song is called I Want My Shit. It's getting there. It's getting to the good part. Just wait for it, Dave. I'm what you call a juggalo, and all I want is my flavor. 
Four simple things. What? Before I die. I wanna watch the axe. I wanna know voodoo. A fat bitch named Bridget. And a little sip of Fago too. Till I get my shit in this motherfucker, I won't ever die. So that song is about Violent J, who his backstory is that he's like an immortal being that just can't die until he gets his few things that he wants out of life. Is Shaggy also a kayfabe character? Like, does he is he just like a a regular guy who like fell in with this immortal demon or is he also an immortal demon we will get to that dave there's an actual answer to this joke question you're asking but what do you think about that one so far that was the uh, of the, the, the of this uh you know i like i like that the most specifically because the story aspect had a little bit more theatricality and was kind of like he embraced the the weirdness of the fact that they're clown characters. I liked that. Um, I mean, that's the thing, though, is the amazing Jekyll Brothers. The 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 albums that preceded it, as much as they had this clown persona and this kind of like dark carnival aesthetic and stuff, it really was just a lot of songs about how they just hated hillbillies and just. But the amazing Jekyll Brothers, like the songs, all are like it's not like a concept album necessarily. There's no like through line of a story, but like every song is like a character. And there's like a story to it, and it has like it has like a like a it has like a story structure to it. Yeah, I, I, so far that was the one I hated the least. All right, this song is called "I Stab People." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Keep in mind that I had the edited version of this album. I can't even imagine what that was like. Was it just like bleeps every five seconds? It was. I had an edited copy of this, and then also the Chronic 2000 by Dr. Dre. It was just like listening to a blank CD. Listening to this and how just absurd and goofy it is, imagine being a, like, 12-year-old kid that thought this was fucking cool. Mm-hmm. This is, and this is a short song. That's it's over. That's the end. That was the whole song. Because really, honestly, where where else could you take that? Just continue naming off. Just people continuing that you stab. naming people that you stab. Yeah. But I kind of love that that idea of that concept of a song though, where it's just like an hour long song, where it's just like him naming a giant list of people he stabbed. It's the it's the it's the Bubba naming shrimp of rap songs. Uh. All right. So this so this is. This so this song is called the Shaggy Show. Is this the one where we find out Shaggy's backstory? Because that's kind of all I give a shit at this point. No, that's just, that's that's uh, that's the next song. Um, this song is in the format of like a late night talk show, and also this is the song that Snoop Dogg was on. This is the song that they paid Snoop Dogg to be on. This album also had a lot of skits, and these skits are burned into my memory. There's nothing you can do except get your PhD. Play a haters degree? That's right. Oh, hell 
hearing a little of this and that about you having some kind of a panic attack? Tell us, um, is it true? And when you have one, what the fuck do you do? So I've heard this song a million times. And I never knew that that was real. That that was like that was an actual thing that they were referencing. I thought it was just you know some made up thing. Now I'll just pr- quickly play the the Snoop Dogg part. So what do you, what do you think about that? And I feel I feel like we got to play at least a little bit of the song with ODB in it, just to kind of give a sense of what you were talking about. So you know, casual misogyny, casual misogyny, uh, and then th- and this is this is this at least I don't know if this is canon, but uh, this explains Shaggy to Dope's origin story. I'm just gonna let's see. So he so I'm I'm not gonna play the whole song, but. Violent J is a mad professor, and he's like killing people, he's luring people to his house and killing them so he can use their body parts because he's building some kind of friend. He's building a friend for himself. So Shaggy to Dope is a Frankenstein's monster. I think of the two of them, uh, Violent J got the better backstory there. Is Violent J supposed to be the scientist who makes Violent or Shaggy? Yeah, he's the mad professor. Is he is the character the mad professor, or is he just playing that character as well? I don't think that the I don't think the songs or the stories are like canon, or that they've like formulated them to be like the storylines to like be cohesive i think the songs are just kind of like i think the songs are all self-contained gotcha gotcha well that's disappointing the group continued to grow in popularity and and their cult appeal continued to balloon but they never quite crossed over into the mainstream of actual in air quotes celebrities they live more on the cultural fringe and they honestly are a little bit more of a laughing stock slash bizarro world curiosity than, you know, anything resembling mainstream culture. Until the year 2000, when everything changed. Act 3. It's Burning Man, but you know, make it clown. The 2000s saw the release of Bizarre Bizarre, a double album, the epic that would satisfy every clown who ever put on the face paint. Just to drill down into that, it's B-I-Z-A-A-R and B-I-Z-Z-A-R. Yeah, this album came out right at the end of my interest in ICP. Like, I remember it coming out, and I remember by that time, I I just, like, had become disconnected from it. So all of this kind of like cultural uh, momentum leads to the beginning of what I think a lot of people actually know ICP for more than the music in, in some circles. I mean, they know that they're musicians, but they're more aware of this thing, which is 
The Gathering of Juggalos happened in July at the Novi Expo Center in Novi, Michigan, and basically it's like fucking Comic-Con for clown-themed murder-obsessed softies with negligible ties to a stable family life. It featured wrestling, games, seminars, contests, sideshow performers, and musical performances by all of the Psychopathic Records artists. Even Vampiro of the WWE and Lucha Underground showed up. This is actually one aspect the we didn't really touch on the fact that so Psychopathic Records, the company that they started to put themselves out initially, when they left and started signing deals at other record companies, they kept signing clown themed rappers to Psychopathic Records. So it was still a record company that whole time putting out bands like like Twist Twisted. Twisted, yeah. Twisted and there's a couple other One's Jamie Madrox. Is that a guy? I feel like he's in one of those bands. Um, the only reason I know him is because he's named after the X-Man, Jamie Madrox. Papa Pricey, the context clown and his dominoes. Yes, exactly. Um, and so they basically had this massive stable of fans turned creators that were making clown themed hip hop for them um, that they were making money off of. Um, and obviously, you know, if you're into wrestling and you're into clowns and spooky horror stuff, you're probably going to like the wrestler Vampiro. You're probably also going to like The Undertaker, but The Undertaker was too cool for that shit. He was like, nah, I'm good. It's also it's also so crazy. I can't think of any other music genre or whatever, community or whatever you would call it, um, where there's like like a band sort of coins an aesthetic and a and almost like a genre of music that's so specific as to be like we're rappers that like are clowns and then they have such a galvanized fan base around that concept to where their fans also identify as these like clowns with like face paint and then they make music and so then that specific thing becomes this almost genre where there's other musicians that are also clown rappers and then they get signed to their record label to the point where there's this record label and it's all like this band and then a bunch of other bands that are fans of them that do like a similar thing to what they do. Yeah, it's almost like if Beatles cover bands, like if John Lennon had started a record label at like the height of Beatlemania called like the Beatle label and all of the bands that signed to that label were like bug music pun bands that made, you know, pseudo i wanna hold your hand i wanna hold your hand all you need is insincerity <laughs> so basically they, they 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 organized the first gathering which is this big fucking convention and um basically the 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 way that they did it they kind of would like tour all year make all this money and then set up this convention where all their fans would travel from around the country. And the, the convention is almost free. Like it's like $200 for like a four day thing. And you don't have to really pay any money when, once you're in, like it's, you can kind of skate by relatively easily. And so they would blow all their money, bringing in all these big acts. And, and the first one that kind of set that tradition off was Vampiro. Cause they had this big wrestling, uh, match where they had all these wrestlers and Vampiro was there and he, you know, was beloved by the people. And, uh, I worked with Vampiro on Lucha Underground. He was one of the commentators on the show. Uh, I worked on Lucha Underground for three seasons. Um, and I worked on, I'm forgetting now if I worked on it for one as a production assistant and then for two as an assistant on the 
director's team slash producer's team. But it's weird because since it was a non-union gig and all wrestling stuff is non-union, the producers of the show and the directors of the show are all called producers. Like there, there is no, no title of director. Um, everybody's just a producer. Yeah. It's like, it's like in the social media content space where everybody's a a predator, a producer editor, and they don't, and they, they don't call anybody directors or writers. You just kind of, you just kind of make every, you do everything and you're just kind of known as this like content maker. So there was, you know, I, I have a bunch of weird stories about him, but one of them, which is pretty funny, is that we were recording one of the season finales, and I don't remember which one it was now, but we were recording one of the season finales, and he and Matt Stryker, the other co-commentator, like basically the way the ring was set up is it was the whole show, which if you're not familiar, was a Lucha Libre wrestling show that was shot in a warehouse in here in California, And the warehouse was a real fucking warehouse and was not really built to shoot a wrestling show in. Yeah, it was in in Boyle Heights. Yeah, it was in Boyle Heights. And um, they the way the ring was set up is it's like the ring, a semicircle of uh, seating arrangements around the ring, a big stairwell that goes up that the, the wrestlers would like parade down. And then off to the left, there's this little like catwalk area where... The Melissa, the host, one of the main producers, and I would always stand. And then the little like announcer booth that Matt Stryker and Vampiro would be at where they were calling the matches. And so it's a fucking warehouse. It's always hot in there. People are always screaming and yelling at each other. But there's also a lot of folding chairs in there, like a lot of folding chairs. And sometimes the real folding chairs get mixed in with the folding chairs that the wrestlers use to beat the shit out of each other with which are made of a lighter metal. If you're unfamiliar, Vampiro is a big-ass dude whose wrestling gimmick used to be that he was a vampire and he had long black hair, but now he's kind of a middle-aged guy and I don't know if he just shaves his head or if he's balding, but he doesn't have any hair anymore. So he doesn't really look like a vampire, but he still goes by Vampiro. He lives in Mexico, even though he's not Mexican. His name's Ian, I think, in real life. But he's really like, he's an intense dude, really intense. And not knowing that much about wrestling before I worked on the show, I knew little bits here and there, but, uh, you know, every, t- some of the people on the show were really nice and I would ask them questions and cause I'm a curious person, writer, I'm always trying to learn about what's going on. And Vampiro was not one of the people that you should ask questions to. <laughs> so there was this season finale. I think it was season two or maybe season three. I don't remember where it's this big knockdown drag out fight. All these people are in the ring, they're all beating the shit out of each other. And Vampiro is sitting in his folding chair at the table next to Matt Stryker. And they're both yelling into the mics. They're yelling into the mics. It's like, you know, everything is going off crazy, right? I mean, it's, it's the, the, the peak energy. And Vampiro kind of like sits up on the edge of his chair and then sits back and ye- yells something. And the chair breaks. He turns to me because I'm probably about like 10 feet, maybe 15 feet away from me. And he yells through this chain link fence, get me another fucking chair. So I run around this little corner area that's like adjacent to the directing booth. It's probably about 15, 20, another 15 or 20 feet away. Grab a folding chair off of this big pile of chairs, run back to him, open the chair, put it next to him. He sits down, continues to call the match. The chair breaks in half again he pops back up turns to me and i literally thought i was gonna die like 
we've established that I have the body of a toddler, but this man could have punched a hole through my chest with one of his fingers. Like, he's a big dude. And he was like, he just looked at me and I like fucking booked it. I was like, fuck this. And I ran around that corner again, grabbed another chair, sprinted back to him, popped it open, put it next to him. He sits down again. Do you want to guess what happens? (laughs) It fucking shreds. I mean, he just destroys this thing by just sitting down. And I'm like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening to me. Come on, man. At this point, it's it's you, not me. <laughs> You're the chair destroyer. He looks at me again, and I turn around, and the produ- I'm about to go get him another produ- uh, another chair, and the producer who's standing next to me uh, grabs me by the shoulder and goes, get him a real fucking chair. And I'm like... There literally is, there's stacks of hundreds of chairs. And what's obviously happening is the dummy chairs got mixed in with the real chairs. And there's no way for me to know the difference. Like, I don't have time to like sit in a bunch of them and see if they feel right and open them and sound like, so I like run around the corner again. I grab like two. The real chairs chairs. aren't heavier than the fake chairs. They're like the same. You, You really don't know until you're like, cause they're, they're like basically like not made as well. And also, Bro, your adrenaline's pumping, everyone's screaming and yelling. A metal that is slightly thinner than normal metal of a folding chair is really hard to distinguish. So I, like, pull them off, and I'm, like, punching it, right? I'm just, like, punching these chairs, trying to figure it out. I'm like, pop, 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 pop. That feels real? I don't know. Pop, 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 pop. That feels the same. Pop, 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 pop. I don't know. They all feel like this. So I just grab two chairs and run back pop it open next to him and he opens the chair and goes like like trying to see if it will break it doesn't break he slams it on the ground sits down in it and for a split second matt striker me the producer and vampiro are all looking at the chair like is it a real chair and it's fine (laughs) he sits down in the chair it doesn't break and it it's fucking it's okay they call the rest of the match i go back over to the producer who gives me this look like, what the fuck was that all about? And I'm like, I know, what the fuck was that all about? The match ends, Vampiro comes over to me, and I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna die. He's gonna just tear me in half. And he kind of like, he like looks at me and kind of like, he doesn't say I'm sorry, but he's just kind of like, yeah, and then walks off. Like, he was kind of trying to find a way of being like, hey, I'm sorry I yelled at you. That was in the that was the heat of the moment. Thank you for getting me a chair. But, like, his toxic masculinity couldn't <laughs> let him say that to me. So he kind of just, would like, gave me, like, a head nod of, like, thanks for getting me the chair. And then said, yeah, turned around and left. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> so that is my... That is my Vampiro story. The chairs were kayfabe. The chairs were kayfabe. I mean, I have many Vampiro stories, but that is the one that almost made him endearing to me and not just kind of like a dude who was kind of took everything too seriously and maybe uh, wasn't that nice to people sometimes. Matt Stryker, on the other hand, I know that wrestling fans, they don't like him and they think he's kind of annoying. Uh, I'm just going to go on a limb and say that Matt Stryker was one of the nicest people that I worked with on that show. He was always super cool to me. Always took the time to answer questions and talk about dumb shit. Uh, he would always fuck around. We we joked around a lot on that on that set uh, with him specifically. 
Um, and yeah, he he was a super nice guy. Unfortunately, you did get him a, a fake chair, and it broke, and it impaled him, and he died. Yeah, Matt Striker is now dead. He doesn't he doesn't uh, shuffle the mortal coil anymore. And you killed him. I I killed Matt Striker, and and then I inherited the mantle of Matt Striker. My real name, my real legal name now is Matt Striker. Um, yeah, but uh, that's my that's my vampiro story. And I cracked up when I was doing this research and found out that he was at the the gathering of the Juggalos one because I know for a fact that that guy does not want to hang out with Juggalos. That dude, that dude does not want to hang out with Juggalos. I don't think that dude wants to hang out anywhere other than maybe like a strip club or like a buffet of cocaine. <laughs> like I don't, I don't think that guy wants to be around any dudes or or one place that's both. Yeah, yeah, or both. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I don't have a vampiro story, but I feel like I kind of feel like we have to watch a little bit of this, uh, which we we did not we did not watch. This is a crossover, and it's it's kind of bringing three episodes together because the birth of our talking about icy. ICP Shaggy to Dope was on the Chris Hansen episode. But one thing that we missed and didn't talk about on the Andrew WK episode was that Andrew WK also performed at the gathering in 2008. And there's video of it. And it's notable because not only is it Andrew WK performing at the gathering, which is this epic crossover, but also this video is very funny in that he will watch it in a second. But he like goes from like being booed and everyone's like, fuck this guy to like somehow winning them over and then kind of losing them again. So 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 we'll, we'll, we'll check this out. So he's got like weird like techno music playing. And he's like kind of fucking with them and doing his whole persona thing where he's like doing like weird performance art and just going off on his weird like generic like creative positivity rants. And they're just like throwing shit at him. They're just like pelting him with bottles and cans and they're just like pinging off of his head and he's like knocking them away. And they're just like, fuck you. And he's like flailing around and he's wearing like a weird mesh tank top. I'm so into this. (laughs) He's just he's just like fucking with them. And they're and they're hating him because they just think that like they think that this is what it is. They think his his performance is like I'm gonna flail around to this weird like techno synth music and like rant about like loving people. And then the actual song kicks in. And it's funny because it's like, it's literally just him. It's him singing to like a playback. There's no band. But even still, as soon as the actual song kicks in, like people just, they just immediately like stop throwing stuff at him. And they almost seem to like be like, oh, like it's not just that weird bullshit he was doing. It's real music. But it also kind of sucks. Like this is, this is, this is kind of, if I went to see an Andrew WK show and it was just this, I'd be pretty disappointed. I would I would also be disappointed, but then I would think it was funny that I was disappointed. Yeah, the fact that it's just playback really sucks. And I wonder and I wonder why. I wonder if that was on purpose, if he really is just full on kayfabe trolling them. Like why wouldn't he have a band? Could he just not afford to have his band come out or something? But yeah, I, I discovered that video weeks after we did the Andrew WK episode and I was like, oh man, missed missed opportunity. So basically the the first gathering was a lead up on July eighteenth, two thousand. Um, to the release 
of Big Money Hustlers, the first feature fucking film produced, starring, written, not directed by the insane clown posse. It was directed by Marty Scorsese. Bruh, I would love that. Big Money Hustlers, a funny-ass comedy brought to you by Psychopathic Records and the Insane Clown Posse. It's the classic story of a badass super cop. It's got fucking Harlan Williams, is that his name? Yeah, basically, so they, they self... Lil Poop. They self-produced a black exploitation movie where they're the main characters in face paint. Yeah, I don't even think it needs to be deconstructed. It's just really weird. So, Bizarre Bizarre, the double album, sells nearly 400,000 copies. And then the second gathering is held this the following year on July 13th through 15th at the Seagate Convention Center in Toledo, Ohio. This time, They're coming they up. level things up. The big time. Big. Toledo, Ohio, baby. They're, they're like, you know what? We're going to take this shit fucking pedal to the metal. Last time. From the basements of Detroit to Seagate Convention Center in Toledo, Ohio. Last time they had fucking Vampiro. This time they got Bone Thugs in fucking Harmony, Vanilla Ice, and the Oscar Award winning 3-6 Mafia, motherfucker. Are all, are, are all those guys from Ohio? I know Bone Thugs in Harmony are from Cleveland, but are, are, are Vanilla Ice in 3-6 Mafia? I, I don't even... I, I got nothing. Um, but they basically just keep doing these conventions. They just keep doing them and they've been doing them for 20 years straight. Um, no, he's, he's born in vanilla ice is born in Texas. Hmm. Well, it definitely is vanilla ice right there right now. Yep. Uh, that's a, that's a weather joke. For context, that's because we're experiencing extreme global warming where the usually temperate desert climate of Texas is experiencing a massive snowstorm. For context, evil satanic Democrat baby eaters have created fake snow using a weather machine to create a blizzard in Texas as a false flag to trick people into thinking that global warming is a thing. I'm I'm Papa Pricey, the the QAnon clown. Papa Pricey, the context clown's evil twin brother, who is also a context clown. And I have the same voice, and the th- I'm wearing an eye patch, but you can't see that. <laughs> so they just keep doing these these conventions, these the gathering. They just keep having them. Um, we're gonna watch a little a little clip of uh this uh this kind of documentary about the gathering and and what it means to people. You've never been here. Try to explain how it is. You can't describe it. Gathering is a family you juggalos. We're misfits. Um, we're watching a uh, yeah, dude. The gathering. Yeah, dude. We're watching footage of a man being suspended by his skin. And see what it is. Nothing will ever come close to this experience. This is my 10th gathering, like, my first one started off in O2 in Peoria, man, like, and then we went to O3, nothing but love, man. I love meeting people, that's why I come here. I love to meet people, this is my sixth year here. This is all I'm about. I've been to nine out of the 
14 that they've had, so at least half. It's like they get to show us so much love from like Colorado, like I'm from Kentucky. She met some homies from New Zealand, I've met homies from Australia, Japan, China, Canada, as far out as Fresno Cali that drove here in the car all yeah. the way. I drove 16 hours to get the gathering. And like it's just so much love, man. We do whatever we want to. Like we hang out, we, we joke around, we play. I mean, there's nowhere else like it. There's nowhere else you can go and literally do whatever you want. And no one's gonna say anything about it. Nope. All of us, we get to come together once a year, you know, do what we do. White Ja Rule? Do what we do. <laughs> ja Rule, is that you? Wa Rule? <laughs> Wa Rule? <laughs> I can go eight months of the year going through my life just to know that you're going to be there, you're going to have so much fun, and it's always that highlight. That's why you're always coming back. You, you come back year after year, and for all of us to have the similar interests, similar uh, things in common, we love the same music, it's easy for us to come together, develop fellowship, you know, develop the bonds, and, and to have that friendship and, and our peers. That's why we're Juggalo family. That's... So sad. It's very sweet. It's very sweet that these people get this uh, shared sense of community and, and shared passion from this place. It's awesome. Good for them. But it also part of it is just very sad to me because you hear you, you see the sentiment a lot where like a like part of their community and the reason why they are so passionate about this and they say this, this isn't like some weird elitist thing that I'm saying I'm projecting onto them. But this is really what they say where they talk about this idea that like their lives just suck. And like, this is the only like moment in their lives when they get to be happy. It's like once a year they go to this thing and it's like their, their one experience of like joy in their lives, which is just, which is just crushing. Um, it reminds me a lot of a lot of these Facebook groups that are all about like nostalgia, like the nineties nostalgia groups and, 80s, 70s, there's all the decades or whatever. And you just see so many people who in there who are just like so obviously just like miserable in their own lives. And so they just have to like lose themselves in nostalgia because it's just like trying to remember a time, the last time that they were ever happy. It's like, and it's like this weird thing of just like literally in this case, like painting like a clown. It's like this, it's like the crying clown. It's like it, it, the, the, the metaphor couldn't be more pointed. And and uh, this this is kind of like the like Netflix documentary version of the gathering. Um, and we we won't watch any of this, but I just I figured I, I figured I should mention. Um, there's another longer documentary. Um, it's like 23 minutes long, or maybe it's longer than this. Is just part of it, but it's called it's called American Juggalo. And this was actually sent to me by a listener after we did the Chris Hansen episode, the the third part of the Chris Hansen episode where we talked about ICP. Um, one of our listeners who I don't know their name, uh, I just know their Twitter handle, which is Kilthulu at Kilthulu. That's, that's a good Twitter handle. Yeah. They, they sent me this 23 minute documentary called American Juggalo. That's kind of like more of a like Spike Jones esque, like slice of life documentary about just like a day in the life of juggalos at the gathering where it's just sitting down and interviewing a bunch of juggalos and just them kind of talking about their lives and the context of being a juggalo and stuff. Um, it's kind of more of a slow, slower churning character study type documentary, um, as opposed to the more kind of like polished, like, let's look into this weird culture type documentary that this other one seems to be um, called American Juggalo. So you, if you want to learn more about juggalos, you should you should check it out because I watched it and it was very fascinating. 
Um, so basically, you know, ICP just keeps doing these, uh, they just keep doing these conventions. They do them every year. People travel all across the world, the country to go to them. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, positive. They talk a lot about what we've previously set up about this idea of adopted found family, a, a, a friendship network, a, a acceptance, um, of people who are different from you, as long as they're not hillbillies, um, they, it's really, you know, it's very nice, uh, seeing what these people get out of it. It's really, really cool. Um, the next kind of stop on our trained insane clown posse is that they next up, they release another movie 10 years after the first one. They release a sequel called Big Money Rustlers, which is a long awaited sequel, but this time it's a Western where there, it's like a, you know, a land, you know, uh, a land war cat, cattle rustling Western where it's just Shaggy to Dope and Violent J in clown makeup. It's a straight, I mean, it's a comedy still, but like everything about it is a Western except them in clown makeup. And I just love that. It, that sounds like something that we would do. <laughs> I love it so much. The small town in the wicked wild west. You people will belong to me forever and always. I love it. I love that he's just in clown makeup. Violent J is the bad guy. I don't. I don't even remember that. Shaggy to dope is the hero. Hell yeah! You just assault people for asking you where have you been. The this random woman also has the clown paint for some reason. It's like Violent J and Shaggy Tadope have the yes. clown paint makeup. Nobody else does except for this one woman. I'm I'm kind of proud of Shaggy Tadope for being able to memorize these lines and take on the leading man role. This is yeah, this is a real level up for him. I've been gone a long, long time, but I'm back now. I'm gonna clean this town up. Y'all listen up now. You listen good. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Sheriff Sugarwolf. <laughs> and I'm gonna show Big Baby Bitch that Mudbug is now a town under the rule of law. What was that noise I he made? Don't I don't know. <laughs> they're gonna have to explain the context of that image we just saw. They have like machine guns. Psychopathic Records presents. So there you are, Sheriff Sugarwolf. Ah! A deadly tale of debauchery, hedonism, and family love set in a small town named Mudbug. Get the step in. Monoxide. Jamie Madrox. Shaggy Tudo and Violent J star in Big Money Rustlers. A Paul Andreessen film. Coming 2010 worldwide. Anybody else got any issues that need discussing? 
I didn't fucking think so. So the other main aspect to the ICP empire that we really, you know, haven't taken a, a really deep look at is the wrestling side of things um, that kind of took hold in the 2000s. They started a a joke, semi-regular wrestling promotion called Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Um, and believe it or not, the flamboyant nature of our two favorite clowns from Detroit caught the attention of not only the ECW and the WCW, but the WWE. Both of them have appeared as wrestlers in all three of those promotions. Um, they, they appeared in numerous matches from 99 to 2006, and they even actually ran their own promotion, Juggalo Championship Wrestling, which started as this kind of uh, direct to DVD and direct to video gag where they kind of just, I think they like low key were going to do a one off wrestling match video. And then it was so successful that they were just like, fuck it. Let's take it on tour. So they, they did, they organized like a 15 city tour, which originally was called the, uh, the strangle mania live tour. Um, and this was so successful that they started producing sequels and they did more VHS tapings and DVD releases. And eventually, um, the, the, actually the, the, the first sequel, the, uh, the JCW volume two VHS tape, uh, charted at number eight on the billboard sports and recreations top seller list, which I didn't even know was a fucking thing. Um, and they, they held all these matches and appeared in all these other promotions. And over the next 10 years, it was kind of this part-time thing that they would do. And, you know, people would get together and I, it kind of seems like a way for them to, you know, hang out, live their fantasies of being wrestlers from when they were kids, but also an excuse to make money with their friends, you know, that like Rob Van Dam and Sabu and these other wrestlers, Vampiro, whoever the fuck else. They're also, they're also ended up being a, uh, trying to find some footage of it, but they're used, they're ended up being a video, a, a PS2 game called Backyard Wrestling that, uh, that had ICP as playable characters in it. I love it. So basically, they, they did this up until about 2010, and then in 2010, they announced that they were going to run it full time, and they were going to rebrand it um, as just championship wrestling. And they even opened like a, a wrestling school, the JCW Wrestling School, and they've basically been doing it up until like maybe about, I think like last year, maybe the year before, when I think things financially fell apart a little bit. Um, so it's, it's not currently happening, but that's also largely because of the fucking pandemic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nuts that like that in and of itself is like a legacy that most people would be like super jazzed about that were into wrestling. They're like, yeah, I ran a fucking wrestling promotion for like 20 years and it was like successful intermittently. And I had a wrestling school and I was like a professional wrestler in both the WCW and the ECW, let alone the fucking WWE. Like it's crazy. Um, but the fact that they've been doing this as like this weird barnacle that's just like on the side of their music and and kind of like public persona careers is just wild to me. Listen, yeah, sure. We are legendary professional wrestlers who have gained respect and notoriety in the field of professional wrestling, been featured on every major wrestling federation started our own school but honestly that's just a side hustle first and foremost i want you to know that i fucking hate hillbillies <laughs> my primary occupation is hunting hillbillies know what i'm saying
Act 4. A gang of ninjas sounds really cool until you realize it's related to Insane Clown Posse and then it just sounds racist. So in 2013, ICP got sued by the FBI and they were, they were legally classified as a loosely organized hybrid gang in a 2011 report. The ACLU and Insane Clown Posse's lawyers partnered up in order to defend the group uh, from the government and this specific classification because they asserted that they were not a gang. However, in the early 2010s, uh, it... America did see a rapid expansion in crimes that had Juggalo-related elements to them, people that were involved in Juggalo culture. But looking at the details of that a little bit and listening to specifically Violent J and Shaggy Tudo, they position it more as like, we're not a fucking gang. It's just that people in our subculture are also, you know, they, they have monetary issues. They're of kind of lower class, downtrodden backgrounds. And sometimes those people end up in gangs. Um, so it's more correlation does not e- equal causation. Exactly. Yes. And and going back to the rant about fucking like acting like cancel culture is this new thing that's just pointed directly at conservatives. Like, as you said, yeah, there there were juggalos that, ha- you know, had runs with the law or whatever. But a group of just clowns that just like to get together and hang out were just like for literally no reason classified as a as a gang and like a terrorist group because they just looked like freaky people it's pretty pretty wild um new mexico in specific which is funny like that this i wrote this in the script because it it stuck out to me that like new mexico in specific was a hotbed of juggalo expansion for the context of that joke i just want everyone to know that papa pricey is actually from new mexico yeah, like I said, like I've said before, like I've kind of said before uh, throughout this whole episode, I I was I was never a juggalo and I was never that into uh insane clown posse, but I did I did have a have a, you know, a a, a stint of time where I was I was into them and listened to their music a lot. Uh but more more importantly, uh my both my brother and my cousin were juggalos and I knew a ton of people who were juggalos and yeah, ICP was huge when I was, when I was a kid, it was a huge thing. It wasn't just like, Oh, this is, this is like a popular music or whatever. It was like knowing people who were juggalos was like a common thing. Around this time, the group released arguably their most successful song outside of juggalo circles, a song titled simply miracles. This was honestly when I was reminded of ICP for the first time in years. Song was released on September 6th, 2012, off of their album Bang Pow Boom. <laughs> we got a theory. You see, Mike, we got a theory about magic and miracles. So this song, if you haven't pieced it together, is just them being like, stuff is cool. <laughs> And I see miracles every day Oceans spanning beyond my sight And a million stars way above them at night You don't have to be high to look in the sky And know that's a miracle open wide Look at that mountain I mean, we're just waiting to get to that golden lyric Chilling underwater, please Hot lava, snow, rain and fog Long neck giraffes and pet cats and dogs And I've seen 85,000 people All in one room together as equal Care magic is the birth of my kids Kids, I see shit that'll shock your eyelids. You can't even hold it. Do you notice and recognize miracles? It's just there in the air. 
Pure motherfucking magic, right? This shit'll blow your motherfucking mind. Music is a lot like love. It's all a feeling, and it fills the room from the floor to the ceiling. I see miracles all around me. Stop and look around; it's all astounding. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. How do they work? <laughs> it never does the it, it. fucking magnets. How do they work? The blow is not softened after all these years. No. It's really not. Many things to say. Number one, I love music videos where it's like, all right, get in a room and film yourself just singing the song. And then we're going to get a guy who's just going to go to fucking town in After Effects. Like, I know you're just in a room with the green screen right now, but I'm telling you right now, this guy, he is going to fuck After Effects. He's going <laughs> to he's going to go balls deep. Do not worry about it, my boys. Right now, you're not thinking a whole lot of this. You're like, oh, what's what's going on? We're just in this room. This dude, he's gonna he's gonna fucking reinvent. He's gonna he's gonna fucking you're you're gonna you're gonna say After Effects. How does that work? That's what you're gonna say. My boy Travis, right here. My boy Travis with his puka shell necklace and his uh, random strip of 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 leather that's on his left wrist for no reason. This guy, he's going to take you and put you in a weird expanding, like, accordion building in the future that's going to go to space. I know you're just on a green screen right now, but no, 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 no. He's going to take you and put you in water. In water. He's going to take you and put you in weird amorphous nega space where there's clouds and random stars fields. It's going to be fucking dope, my dude. You know how they call you Shaggy 2 dope? No, 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 no. They're going to call this video Shaggy 3 dope, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So, So there's that. Obviously, the song is hilarious. They're literally just naming off things that are like in that exist. They're just naming off things. Um, you gotta, you gotta wonder how much of this is genuine and how much of it was like a intentional, uh, att- attempt at becoming a meme. Nah, dude, this is genuine. They have, they have definite strategic ability in certain aspects. This was not trying to be a meme. This is 100% saccharin. I'm an old guy and I have kids. And I'm over the hill and this clown shtick doesn't really work anymore. I'm, this is the equivalent to the I'm lost in the desert phase with Andrew WK where he became Blastoise WK, like macho man Blastoise Randy Savage. Like the bit has run its course and you're not quite sure what the next bit is going to be. You know, it's, it's X-Files season seven. It's like, we don't have Mulder anymore. We're going to introduce this new guy. He's also going to have a family member that's missing that he's searching that is maybe connected to aliens. And now Mulder or Scully is going to be the the believer, I guess. And now fucking Doggett. If I, you guys don't like Doggett? I don't know. Fuck it. I don't know. Doggett's. How do those work? <laughs> yeah, uh, I just oh, man, I it's so like it. You know how they you know how there's like memes that were sort of inherited from like the old like pre-internet tape trading days where some weird terrible movie becomes a meme or just some weird like some random person like filmed themselves in like a karaoke booth like singing a song and it's like it's so unself-aware that it just like is like the funniest thing ever like this and then and then like as the years went on that became an aesthetic 
where then people started like purposely making that or as like, you know, the Andy Sandbergs of the world would make like a purpose. They would make a thing that was purposefully aping that aesthetic of like people making a thing where they lacked self-awareness. Ironic sincerity. This seems like that to me. Yeah, it's not. I'm not yes. saying it is, but I'm saying like it's so it, it like I, my mind like almost can't accept that it's that it's real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and the the video has like you know three million views on it and is this crazy successful thing for them. It, it kind of you know uh, it it re reinvigorates their their careers to a certain extent, but also not because everyone is like making fun of them, but they still make a lot of money off of it. So you know, there's that. Um, and they and they they're doing what they do best, which is just enthusiastically telling you something very obvious in a way like it's gonna blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, additionally, around this same time, uh, a separate conversation starts being had about the insane clown posse where it, it kind of gets out that they're both devoutly Christian and that, that there's multiple versions of this story. One of this is kind of like, there's like a, an urban legend that starts about insane clown posse that Shaggy and Violent J did all of this stuff, orchestrated all of these events as a like decades long grift to get people into Christianity. Another version of it is that they, it becomes apparent that they are Christian and then people start drawing these comparisons of like, oh, you're taking elements of the Christian faith of this kind of like love everyone, this kind of like, uh, you know, we're all family, treat others how you would want to be treated. You're taking all of those idioms or iconographies and transposing them onto this idea of a demonic clown circus. Um, and so that those conversations start being had in the, both the broader public and people in the juggalo world as well um which would honestly be impressive if that really was what they were doing because you know that's that's sort of the uh you know we talked about it a little bit on the andrew wk episode as a matter of fact and we've actually discussed this further in the group um but you know a lot of uh in 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 the christian music industry they will sort of create bands that are sort of like manufactured to ape a certain style or genre explicitly to be kind of like a Trojan horse to try to like reach the kids that are into that. So there'll be like these Christian heavy metal bands or Christian rap groups that are like, they're just, they're, they're transparently manufactured to be like, you know, Hey kids, instead of listening to Metallica, listen to skillet. It's the same thing, except for they're talking about God. So it's like, it's like this thing where it's like, it's like a, the eat this, not that of religion where it's like, why listen to this secular worldly stuff where they're talking about, you know, things that aren't, you know, that that are evil or whatever, when you can listen to the same thing, but they're given a positive message. But it's like it's always so transparent that it really never classifies or feels like legitimate real music um, in the same way that like traditional like traditional gospel music is amazing like even even though i don't personally subscribe to any of the message behind it it's it's great music but that like contemporary christian rock it's it it only services as this like a this weird grift attempt at like grabbing the hearts and minds of kids and converting them to christianity but andrew andrew are you are you telling me that you don't like switchfoot no. Although, I mean, I guess they, they, they were more successful at making crossover mainstream music or like later, later on Reliant K when they started like making more secular music. 
P.O.D., baby. We are, we are the Juggalos of the nation. I mean, you're you're talking about bands that were like a little bit more legitimate and crossed over. I'm talking about like the le- the actual like the clone bands, yeah. the skillets and the bleaches and the fucking uh, I don't know. Those are the two that come to mind. But um, but if if this really is what ICP did. Like this, hypothetically, if that's genuinely ICP's decades long plan, that is like the way better, more successful version of what those record companies try to do because they go full force with it. They do what those companies wouldn't dare to do. They actually go deep in undercover as actual evil satanic music. To then slowly over time take these kids from these young troubled youths to like 30, 40 year old somethings who through this long con transformative process have been slowly converted to Christianity over time as opposed to the quick cash, the the quick cash in where it's like. You're trying to you're trying to get them early and flip them fast. They they committed over time. If the, if that's if that's actually what they did, I don't I don't buy that. I yeah I I wish that that's what they did because that would be a much better story. But I, I don't buy that that's what happened. I think that I think Violent J and Shaggy, but mostly Violent J, was like getting into some trouble. He tried to get his life straightened out through the wrestling thing. It didn't work. He tried to get his life straightened out through the music thing, and it worked for a little while, but then it led to other problems, and that's when he found religion privately, and it has, it, it, it has helped him do, do whatever he needs to do, enjoy rainbows. And Shaggy to Dope's just like, yeah, sure, man, I'll do, I'll do that. Yes, exactly. And then, and then it came out because of the renewed scrutiny on them in the 2010s of people being like, wait, the guy who talks about murdering hillbillies is like really Christian? Oh, it's gotta be a grift. And so that that layer kind of like gets put on top, even though there are aspects of their personalities that are kayfabe, that specific thing is not really. Like they are the whole time just like, we love talking about murder because it's cathartic. And then we also like loving each other because it's cathartic because no one else loves us. Let's hug it out, bro. So, yeah, that's that's my take on that. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, the, the takeaway from that is is that I would much rather hang out with a bunch of juggalos than I would Trump supporters. And why would I say that? Well, because on September 16th, 2017, in Washington, D.C., the Juggalo March happened. 1,500 demonstrators gathered at the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool in order to counter-protest the Trump rally, mother of all rallies. Um, and it, you know, who would have thought that, you know, two idiots from Detroit would ostensibly create a secular religion that preaches acceptance of love and, and found family, uh, and works in direct opposition to straight up neo-Nazis. Um, you know, they, they offer a sense of community and, and belonging to people that just don't have a support structure. And they've basically made an entrepreneurial empire off of pure enthusiasm and passion and a weird obsession with fucking clowns, murdering hillbillies and low key co-opting black culture. So, you know, there you have it. You aren't going to do it. Well, I'm going to do what? You're not going to do it. What am I doing? Oh, whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, whoop whoop, baby. Whoop whoop. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. Over the over the process of reinvestigating so much of their music, do you have new takeaways or new insights into their oeuvre, Mr. Price? Not really. They 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 pretty much are face pretty face value. They they're you know they're they're uh they're they're a pretty straightforward. Would you say that they're black face value? Yeah. Yes. They're, they're, they're a pretty straightforward shock group. There's, you know, they, they, they make music where they say intentionally shocking things to get a rise out of people and appeal to younger rebellious teenagers who are trying to push boundaries and kind of, uh, be contrarian to the fundamentalist or traditional values that they're being force fed by authority figures. Um, and their music is pretty cartoonish and I don't think there's a whole lot of depth to it. Um, they do talk a lot about like hating racists and stuff and, but, but they're pretty straightforward about that. Um, I liked the music for a while when I was a kid. Uh, listening to it has this, you know, the, the nostalgic effect that listening to any music from your childhood is, but I don't I don't find it to be particularly good in a traditional sense. Um I feel like I could like music like this still in theory. I just don't think I honestly I I don't think that the music is like particularly interesting. And if they didn't have the clown gimmick, the music is I feel like it's pretty generic. Uh so li- yeah, no listening to it again, I yeah, you don't I don't really take much away from it. It's just I rem- it it brings back memories and it's like exactly the way I remember it. And uh, it just seems like it's pretty generic music that really the only interesting thing about it is the the gimmick. Yeah, I, I know I said it earlier, but I, I think the thing that's... But, obvious, but obviously a lot of people love it. I'm not like I'm not saying that as an objective fact. That's my own personal viewpoint. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know I said it earlier, but I'm just going to say it again. I'm, I, I don't like the music. Uh, I don't think it's good. Um, I think the idea is also not good. Like I, I would not choose, like the idea of a clown rap group is intellectually and emotionally repulsive to me. Um, but I love that these dudes made it. I love that they kept this fucking joke going. Because there's no way it didn't start as a joke at some point, and then they just took it too seriously. Like, they they Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtled it, where they were like, no, 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 we love clowns. It's not just like a dumb shtick. We love clowns. And they've convinced millions of people to love clowns, too. And I I love their enthusiasm. I love that they are swinging for the fences every time. I love the fact that they are being their most undiluted embracing of the id versions of themselves um flaws overt racism misogyny and homicidal tendencies included um i don't condone all of those things obviously but it's fascinating to me that these people have been successful while displaying and exploiting those character traits within themselves um and most of all the thing i liked the most out of you know, learning about them and, and listening to interviews with them and, uh, talking about them with you is just the, the, the proof that like, if you just believe in something enough and are willing to follow it to the ends of the earth, you can make it thrive. Like, I think that there's a really genuine folkloric fairy tale aspect to them that, uh, I personally ascribe to. I, I believe in the strength of the human will. I'm a sucker and I believe in the, the myth of, of, you know, the American dream in air quotes. If you just work hard enough, your dreams will come true. And these racist ass, weird idiots from Detroit 
are living proof of that. Which is why I'm not going anywhere, motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com, where you can find comics like Night Hunters, Action Hospital, Fuck Off Squad, Star Trek Voyager, Seven's Reckoning, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at The Gathering. Fuck yeah. And you can also find me at dapricerights.com, where you can get my comic, Deadbolt, A.A. Private Eye. You can also get the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency patches that we're selling at either my website, dapricerights.com, or Dave's, heydavebaker.com, as he mentioned, or the uh, official Deep Cut store at deepcutspod.com. I'm into it. Snag some patches, eat some long breads, drink some Faygo. All of the above. Just don't get that cotton candy flavor. It's disgusting. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by Dad Beats. You can listen to his podcast, Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. And Pseudocide, who can be found on Facebook at P-S-E-U-D-O-C-I-D-E with spaces between each letter because apparently Facebook doesn't like the use of the Latin stem side and the Dead Boy Detectives who... Born and raised in Roswell, it's small but it's small. I've been to hell, I thought the devil would break his back, so the Lord sent me home to the land I roam. I gotta really put in a place, they see my tour bus, I try to keep pace and see my face. But I guess they have much love for the juggalos out there. I wish as your commanders is as ours, we have tons of y'all coming to the show, just because of love of the juggalos. Raise your head to the sky, be hot, juggalos are gonna fucking die! All right, so the episode came out, and then we discovered, much to our surprise, um, a new and interesting fact about the Insane Clown Posse, specifically Violent J, and it was such an interesting topic of discussion that we are going to amend the episode and add this as an addendum. Addendum Jugga A. We have never done this before, but if you were listening to this right now, if you're hearing this, this was not in the episode before. People who listened to this episode originally did not hear this. And it's been added. And you are special because you're the only one that's hearing this. This is just for you, Adam. <laughs> so there's gonna be one there's gonna be like some people named Adam who were their mind was just blown by that. Just blown, yeah. Yeah. Uh so Papa Pricey, can you give us a, a mini summary of this bizarre new development. 
Okay. It's not even new, but just a thing we didn't discover in our research, or I didn't discover in my research, and then we found out afterwards because our group is secretly just a stealth juggalo group. <laughs> There's just so many people who love ICP in our Facebook group that this got brought up in conversation, and it's such an interesting and weird thing. We had to discuss it. What did I tell you, Dave? I said, my brother told me that I see the, the key tenants of ICP are murder and family. And we've done se- <laughs> we've done several episodes on like true crime type stuff. And I feel like those ones have like done very well. And plus one of our most high performing episodes of all time, Andrew WK. So I feel like the audience crossover is very large. So I'm going to say several things right now with the, with the flippant casual nature as if they are normal things that you could just take for granted exist in the world, but they're not going to sound like that, but just roll with this and follow us on this journey. So violent J our boy, jagged Joe, he has a daughter, Joseph Bruce, legal name, legal name, Joseph Bruce. He has a daughter. Her name is Ruby Bruce Lee. She it's, it's violent J's daughter and she is a furry. And they did, I guess, a web series together. I don't even know if it is it is it a real it's web series. It's not even really. I don't think it's a real web series. I think they it's basically. Just like a, it's like a joke where they pretended like they were making a web series just to make a point. Yeah, basically, because Jagged J, aka Joseph Bruce, aka no, Violent J, Jagged AKA, Joe, Jagged Joe, Jagged Joe, aka. The leader of the Insane Clown Posse, a.k.a. The Duke, his whole shtick is branding. He loves coming up with brandings and and ways of commodifying and packaging things. So the story is this. He has a daughter who's like 12. She's into being a furry. Perfectly fine thing to be into. Good for you, Ruby Bruce Lee. That's great. Support you in your lifestyle choices. She goes online and buys a furry costume to externalize her internal feelings that she is a hybrid wolf creature of some kind. And Violent J is so supportive of this that he buys her the costume. $750. He buys her the costume. It shows up and it is in no way accurate to what they have been sold basically they, they got they got they got they got ripped off they live the real they live the real life meme of like what i ordered what i got from wish yeah so they take which is funny which is funny which is funny because this just happened my mom ordered a skateboard for my son and had it sent to us because he wanted a skateboard and we just got it like 40 minutes ago or i mean it was on the step but we just opened it i open up i open up the door and there's a there's a little but long package i open it up and it's a tiny little mouse skateboard <laughs> and well, like this literally just happened to me i love it i love it so so they went on they went online used some foreign site to make this costume for his for the daughter it ships it's terrible and then what do they do they don't take this lying down they form a gang of two and they are going to take to the interwebs 
as digital vigilantes to protect other furries. So they make a video where they explain why it is so bad and why other furries should not support this specific vendor. And and Violent J is so supportive. It is so adorable. And I love it. And we're going to now watch... We're going to now react to this and we're going to, we, we got to do when we did, I don't remember what video it was that we did where we said, okay, wait, stop. When we paused things and broke it down moment by moment, but we gotta, we gotta, we gotta do this in the family style. We gotta do a family style. No, 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 Dave, I'm way ahead. I'm way ahead of you. So we did a video like this with a Thundercats fan film and we stopped it every time we were feeling the roar. This time Mm. we stop every time we're down with the clown. Oh, yeah. Every time we're feeling down with the clown, we got to stop the video because it is so good. And I say that no other way. I say that because it's a perfect like continuation of the feel and the roar thing. I also say it, though, because I listening back in editing the episode, we literally didn't say down with the clown once in the entire episode. (laughs) So now if you're hearing even possible, if you're hearing this. This is a new version of the episode where the phrase down with the clown has finally been uttered in the episode for the first time. At the very end. Here. Yeah. In the secret addendum. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. We got a logo for the bubblegum orchard. Hi, I'm Ruby and I'm a furry juggalo. I'm dead. I'm a juggalo furry. And we're the Snake Busters. I'm I'm down with the clown. Hold on. I'm down with the clown. All right. So that opening, when they say we're the Snake Busters, a giant snake logo appears on screen. But we also have to just voice the fact that Violent J, his only identity is that he is the father of this young girl. And that is so adorable. Well, I, I, I was down with the clown right before that because my first down with the clown is I kind of low key think that his daughter Ruby is not actually a juggalo. She's just a furry, but she pretends like she's also a juggalo for the sake of her father. 100%. 100%. Yes. She is not a juggalo, but she is, she's embracing the juggalo mindset to support her father's artistic endeavors. Yes. Also very sweet. And yes, I thought the same thing about that. I thought the same thing that he introduces himself as just the father. The idea that like clearly he's a very well-known person. And yet in this video, in this dynamic, like he's pretending like he's just nothing. He's, he's a supporting character for his daughter. Yes. Snake busters. I can hear your brain talking to itself about how cool my mask is. Because this mask was made with quality. This mask was well worth the little money my dad has. My dad likes to front that he's rich, but my mom says he's been broke since the 90s. I wasn't even alive when my dad was rich. I'm feeling, I'm down with the clown. Yeah, I'm down with the clown too. I, I thought this when I first watched it, but this little mini roast here and just the writing in this in general is like genuinely funny. Yes. You know he wrote this too. Yeah, and it's genuinely funny. I also can't overstate this enough. 
She is in full furry regalia. Yeah, and she's not taking. The, she's not. She's not going uh, toe for grace venom. Like she's keeping the mask on the whole time. Yep. And I love the idea that they're just like, yeah, ICP was a thing in the nineties, kinda, but like they're like independent DIY idiots now. They don't have any money. Yeah. So good. It's so funny. It's just, it's just funny. It's, it, it was it, that whole little thing was hilarious. This mask was very much worth the little money my broke dad has. Mom says if my dad could rap better, he wouldn't be so broke. All right, all right, Ruth. All right, they get it. Dad's tapped. All right, they understand that. But what we need to be talking about <laughs> is that fresh mask, because like you said, Ruth, that mask was made with quality. You want to see a mask that was? I'm down with the clown because also. They spend a long time just talking about how good the mask is in the beginning of the video. Like, we're a minute into the video, and they've just talked about how good this mask is, which is very funny to me. It's also really funny to me that they're they're on a green screen, and in the back of the green screen, there is just the Snake Busters logo, which is like, it looks kind of like, like a high school football team's logo that would yeah. be like painted on a gym wall. But it's it's a giant cobra head with a, a yellow circle around it in the perimeter that says Snake Busters on it. And then over the cobra head, there's red lines crossing it out. Like, you know, we're anti-Snake Buster. We're anti-Snake. And that's yeah. just so funny to me that it's just like green screen into the back. I love it. I love it so much. With no quality? Look at this crap. I can't believe I even wore that. Tell them, Rube, educate these fools. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm down with the clown. I keep tr- almost saying that I'm, I feel in the roar because they're animals, but I'm down with this clown right now. The fact, the fact that she's like, I can't believe I even wore that is so adorable to me and endearing. Partially because after she breaks down why the, the costume sucks, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that is inferior to the one she's currently wearing and what was promised. But... They kind of look the same to me. I'm like, oh, it's like a furry costume. Oh, okay, cool. Because I'm ignorant. I am. I. I admit my my lack of knowledge in the furry arts. I also honestly kind of like it. Like it's it's less detailed than the one she's wearing, but it's got like more of a cartoony style to it. I actually, I actually kind of like yeah. the quote unquote shitty one. Yeah, it but also feels. I, but also, I love. I love the. I mean, the, the dynamic is, is so great. And I love his, like, s- supporting character, like, hype man thing he's doing, where he's just like... Oh, man, and it, gets, like, and it gets so much better tell from him, here, Ruby, too. Tell like, him, educate just, these fools. I love it. Yeah. I love... I love... If, if Insane Clown Posse was just this, as opposed to talking about killing hillbillies and shit, I would be down with the clown. Like, I don't give a shit about talking about murdering somebody with a fucking shotgun. Being supportive of your 11-year-old furry daughter aggressively? Yes, I do support that. (laughs) Spending all this time writing this and putting it together just as like a fun thing to make your daughter feel better about something? Ah, down. Like I can just imagine the the reason this is so good is because it paints a picture of in your brain of like the week before. 
Like I picture her coming home from school, being so excited to open the box. Violent J is like, yeah, Rube, we got you this costume because you're a furry and I support that because it would be weird of me and also deeply human if I was into clowns, but then I thought it was weird that you were in animals. That sounds like <laughs> something that would normally happen, but that won't happen because I, Violent J, am a good dad. <laughs> and like, I just see the, the love and the, and the, and the, the respect between the two of them. And then I know that when she put it on and she tried to be like, Oh, it's, it's, yeah, I really like it. Her eyes are welling up with tears and Violent J's like, Rube, what's the matter? You don't like this? Did these snake oil salesmen give you a weird fucking dog costume that isn't the weird dog costume that you wanted? This is bullshit. <laughs> we we got to do something. Dad, what are we going to do? We can't do anything. There's nothing to do, Dad. There's nothing to do. It's just horrible. It just It's not the externalization of the wolf creature that's pink just- and green inside me. There's just some random offshore dropship company with a shell account where we could never track them and they've just taken our money and run with it. No, Rube. No, we gotta, we gotta take it to the streets. The people gotta know, Rube. The te- the people got to know. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get Randy. I'm gonna get Roy. I'm gonna get Big Danny. You know, the guys who made the Miracle music video and we're gonna shoot a green screen retaliation rant. I can't do that, Dad. Dad, what, what do the, the kids at school think? We, we, this isn't about them. We gotta protect the other kids that are furries out there. Come on, Rube. Yeah, you're right. We do have to protect the other furries. We got this, Rube. We got this. Pulls out the laptop. He's typing. He's like, Rube, what do you think about them? Do you think that they're, what should we call them? Should we call them donkeys? No, Dad. Donkeys are really big in the furry community. What about snakes? They're snakes. What yeah, about, Dad, they're what snakes. About, what about chicken heads? He's like, Dad, no, this hillbillies are fine. Like, there's there's some bad ones and there's some good ones. Like that that's a little that that weird specific prejudice you have against hillbillies is a little it strange. Doesn't, it doesn't come in here, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Leave leave that alone. All right, you're right. We just need to stay on point. We need to take it to these motherfuckers. We're gonna, we need to start a gang, Ruby. We need to start a gang. We're gonna be the, we're gonna be the fucking snake busters. Really? That, that sounds like weirdly sexual, dad. I don't know if I want to be involved in anything busting, especially a snake. What does that mean? Like you like stroke the snake and it like explodes everywhere? That's so weird. No, Ruby, like they're snakes and we're gonna bust them like ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, ghost busting. Okay. Yeah, it'll be like the Ghostbusters, but we'll like hunt snakes. No, Rube, we're gonna hunt these motherfuckers that are selling your shitty costumes. We're gonna hunt and these motherfuckers the next Oops, day. Uh, 10 cents for the swear drawer. Sorry. Sorry, Rube. <laughs> Sorry, Rube. Sorry, Rube. We're gonna, we're gonna take these mapper flappers down and peg a two. <laughs> But that was a bad mistake. I try to pet it, I try to make it my friend, but I shouldn't have done all that. Trust me, that dang snake was an epic fail. Cause that thing bit me and it bit me. Okay, I'm feeling the clown, but this is I'm down with the clown. <laughs> but but this is this is more of a question. I'm more clown curious right now than actually being down with mm-hmm. the clown. So she says she tried to pet the costume. I am not a furry, so I don't, and I don't know many people that are personally. So no, no, it, she, I thought it was like an externalization of no. Interior. She wasn't. Is, is it a, no? She wasn't talking about petting the costume. She was basically creating a metaphor in which she trusted a snake. She tried to pet oh. the snake, and the snake bit her. But the snake 
gotcha. was the company that she decided to buy the costume from. This this metaphor is so erudite and sophisticated. It went over my simple brain. I don't know if you know this. Or not, but we don't have schools in Arizona, <laughs> so it didn't really. I I struggle sometimes with metaphors yeah, and allegories. I, I, yeah, I mean, because of your misfortunes, I wouldn't even have mentioned it. Yeah. What we thought was a full fledged high quality furry suit, but in reality, what we got was full fledged. Furry poop because OIS came. <laughs> <laughs> that was a clown. The the furry poop. The furry poop. He says furry poop, and it's it's a it's a shit emoji that's rainbow colored with googly eyes on it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, this is just, I love it. This is so good. It's so good. It's like I can't even I can't even wrap my mind around it. The thing that's so shocking to me is they've put out numerous records, made literally millions of dollars. There's like body s- such houses, good energy to it. And all it's of j- this shit that they've accomplished, and this is the thing that I will forever remember them for. Yeah, and one of them's not even in it. It's just Violet J. And you can't, and you just can't fathom that. The- the same people who made the miracles song and music video also made this because it's like the lack, just the lack of self-awareness in that music video and just how corny it is. And this is just like, it's self-aware. It's funny. I, I just, it, it's so good. And it's well-written and none yeah. of their shit is well-written. Yeah. SK actually stands for, Outrageously insane snaky crooks. That's wrong. But so is snaking my daughter right through my already weak and malnourished feeble pocketbook. Let me show you. All right. Yeah, I'm just I'm down with the clown because like I I keep saying this, but like this just seemed like this character of this like overtly angry and enthusiastic guy harping hard on this company ripping off his daughter it's just it's so great it's like it's like it's like a funny snl sketch yeah except actually funny because snl they have a they have a they have a spotty track record sometimes they're good sometimes they're not so good this is a real good this would be like they would this if this was an snl skit the the sketch they would it would run, it would go, the first one would go viral, and then they would make 500 of them every time diminishingly funny by half until it was so tired and dead that nobody ever wanted to see it again. And then they would make like a whole feature film franchise off of it. Yes. These six snakes bit me. These are snakey salesmen. Them ain't salesmen, Rube. Them are salesmen. They're snakesmen. They're some daddy <laughs> ass rattlers. No swear, <laughs> I swore nothing. I said name swear words. Nathan. Relax and get schooled on OISK snakey ways. Number one, in the picture advertised on AliExpress and the ubersnakeydhgate.com, the mask had one pink eye and one blue. I, their first mistake was ordering something off of AliExpress because we, we use that website when I worked in e-com and that's, you're not going to get anything you want off of that website. But on the map they sent me, it had two lame purple eyes. What the? So whack. I'm feeling the, I'm down with the clown. I'm, I'm down with the clown. I'm down. 
I'm down with the clown. I'm down with the clown because I love the delineation that two. What was it? Was it a, a pink and a purple eye, or a pink and a blue eye, or whatever the whatever the the multicolored eyes? That's what they wanted. But purple eyes? No, that is an abhorrent sin. Well, no, that, but that, I mean, you're being kind of sarcastic, but that, of course, like wolves, wolves have multicolored eyes. So if you identify really? it, yeah. So if you, if you identified as a wolf, you would want the multicolored eyes. Like what? Like that's the, that's a, a huge part of the appeal. And so if you got Wait, a wolf, but you're saying that, that it's common, it's common for wolves to have separately colored irises. Yeah, and, I mean, I know that can happen with humans, and that, but it's fairly rare. It's common in wolves. Yeah, Wol- wolves have multicolored eyes. Why? Why do you weirdly what? don't believe this? Really? Yes. And, do- really? and dogs too. This isn't. I mean, yeah, sure, but I uh, the dogs thing I've seen, but not. I wouldn't say it's common. It's like wolves it's are dogs. Yeah, but come on, that's come on, come on. are they really though? Why are you really? so resistant to this? And yes, they literally are. <laughs> Wolves are literally dogs, <laughs> or vice oh, versa. Really though? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm looking this up right now. I'm looking this up. <laughs> wow, they can have orange eyes. Ha ha ha! Unlike several dog breeds like huskies, heterochromia, differently colored eyes, is not a natural wolf trait. Mm. Well, I guess, I mean, it's with dogs. Yeah, but wolves ain't dogs, bruh. I learned this in the no school that's in Arizona, bruh. <laughs> but still, but still, if you, if you, that beca- because of that multicolored yes. eye pupil thing being a thing, if you specifically wanted it, it would be very disappointing yeah. if you didn't get it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And and also specifically if it's like you know, if if you're if you're trying to live something out, it's even more than just like being disappointed that a shirt is the wrong shade of brown or something. It's like this is my the externalization of my bo- my my soul, motherfucker. I am a wolf person. How dare you try and tell me that my wolf person should have purple eyes or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I mean not not a lot of people notice notice this, but uh but Hillsmer he has, uh, he has like one like little tiny pupil and one big pupil, and that's, that's yeah. That was a. I, f- I feel like he told me that was like a childhood space hell injury. Like mm-hmm. something hit him in the eye, and his his left eye is just permanently dilated now. Yeah, but it makes it it makes him unique. Yeah, absolutely. One of the many things that makes him unique and totally not a terrible roommate. And I definitely wish that he would stop watching. Or don't wish that he would stop watching uh, erotic recreations of Planet of the Apes scenes. Yeah, which is like, I don't even know where he's getting those because that's not like that's not a thing that like he's he's having those made. That's all I'm saying. He didn't buy that. Do, in a should store. we recreate this video? Should we recreate this video? But with you as the uh, as the the angrily supportive dad and Hillsmer as the I can't believe they sold me this erotic Planet of the Apes costume and it doesn't have nipples. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> I do feel a, I do feel a paternal uh, a paternal role in Hillsmer's life for some reason. Yeah. Understandable. Understandable. I could barely see out of the eyes and mouth. But when it came, I could barely see out of the booger filled nose. 
Yeah, that would, I mean, I, I'm down with the clown. Like, whatever thoughts about how important the different colored eyes are or, uh, you know, whether or not that costume is actually that bad or not. If if the visibility is bad, like, fuck that. Because yeah, if you're going to be walking that. around wearing that all the time, you got to be able to see out of that. Yep. I have a. It I have also a, just looks like an adult suit, too. Like, it looks big. Yeah. Like, she's not a large 12 year old. She's like a normal fucking kid. Like, that well, helmet looks like it's like six times too large. Yeah, for I mean, her. it probably is really big. It's probably, you know, with a lot of those, a lot of like cheaply made clothes and stuff like that, you know, in order to make it cheap, they, you know, they just, it's all the same size because they're just cranking it out in a factory. And if they had to vary the sizes and make them more kind of like tailor fitted, it would make it more expensive. <laughs> You will have a hundred percent positive response, and they said they would send you additional pictures if you want. But when the order was placed, they didn't respond at all. So stale, snakes. <laughs> 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 the hands were sturdy and built well, but what they sent us was floppy, cheap, flimsy, oversized mittens. Man, foul, stale, snakes. Number five, and the picture advertised <laughs> the mask was standard size. But what they sent us was a monster mug. A mask yeah. big enough to fit nine heads in there. And there was a crazy annoying little fan inside. And it blew right against my face. Awful. <laughs> a, part, a part of the appeal of this is a little bit lost if you're not watching it. So if you're listening to this, you lose a little bit of the appeal or maybe a lot of the appeal. Maybe you're listening to this and being like, what the fuck are they laughing about? But this is fucking hilarious. Like they keep this is one of the way from Ruby. This is one of the greatest comedic performances in history. It really is like move over, Steve Martin, you piece of shit. <laughs> fucking violent J is here. Motherfucker. Get that banjo out of here. You arrow through the head, bitch. Violet J is in this bust ass piece. Uh, like it, and it's so well directed too. Because like, you know, the the static shot of her standing there and like motioning to this board and showing the photos of why the costume is fucked up, with insert shots of him like lunging at camera, making these extreme faces and making a a snake shape with his hand and arm, and just yelling trash. Foul snake is so satisfying. It's so satisfying. But thanks to them, my dad can't afford to make this video any longer. All in all, we got snake for 750 bucks. OISK, you snakes are busted. My fellow furry friends, don't order your furry suits from OISK. Unless you're trying to get snaked, because you will. And we found that out the hard way. Take it from us. The Snake Busters. And if you know any about snakes on the loose, and you like to see them busted, hit me up on Twitter. Ruby Bruce Lee. Until next time, I'm Ruby. I'm Ruby's dad. And, and we're, we're the, the Snake Busters. Uh, okay, like uh, you, you, you dislike ICP way more than I do. 
I I actually when I was younger was really into them and I don't really like the music anymore. It's a little it's it's somewhat nostalgic for me. But you dislike them a lot more than I do. But on the on the other hand, like what you know in the past watching that ICP interview with Chris Hansen that we did on the Chris Hansen episode and just how dorky and oblivious and just hilarious they are in a very you know kind of laughing at them kind of way any of the thing any of the cringy things that we saw like doing the uh, this episode this this not only does this like make up for all of it and completely just negate all of it but it's also just baffling that the same person who did all that other stuff did this because it's like it's just it's it's like a it's a shot of of serotonin just directly into your heart i i say this completely seriously i don't know if that's how serotonin heart. works i don't know i don't know but I, I don't either, so it's fine. I'm not going to call you out. Although apparently I'm really committed to how wolves' eyes work. Um, uh, I've, I've never told you this, but I actually ha- do have some past trauma regarding wolves. We had a pet wolf growing up, um, and then uh, it bit my little sister and we had to put it down. So I've always been very protective over my uh, wolven brethren. Uh, my, wait, my so wolf. You, wait, so you wished that the wolf your sister had been put down instead of the wolf yes obviously <laughs> like you didn't she had <laughs> she had two different colored eyes man it was really freaky you didn't they should have killed her you didn't grow angry at wolves and then like bitter and resentful towards them for harming your sister you're like the wrong sibling was put down <laughs> there was four of us and then there was three of us except the three that remained had no fur and my heart has never healed since. It's a traumatic story, man. It's really dark, man. I just shared something deeply personal with you, and you're fucking laughing at me. I I nervous laugh whenever I. It's my. It's how I reacted to tragedy. I love Violent J. After this, this video has converted me. I think that you're ICP in full is great. makeup right now. You know that I, you know I, that meme whoop whoop you know that meme where it's like a person slowly putting on clown makeup and like as they're saying like dumber and dumber shit like it's that yep. meme except for it's not saying dumber and dumber shit it is you just your affection for Violent J growing and growing yep I love Violent J I love ICP I want to hang out with Ruby she seems really cool I want to listen to her opinions on glove paw fitting and uh snout placement on masks um she seems awesome i'm really into it and um i am officially a juggalo now whoop whoop hatchet life family most motherfucking clown love furries how do they work that's what i want to know because i feel like i feel like furries Aren't furries kind of like inherently a sexual thing? Isn't that like part I, of it? I thought so, but I uh, she doesn't see she's a fucking twelve year old girl. Maybe she's just into like dressing up like a fucking wolf or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that 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 video that's 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 one of those few videos that's like an antidote to just the entirety of the 
negative toxic energy that exists on the internet. You see so much shit every day that just fills you with anxiety. And I'm, I'm not even talking about necessarily political stuff or st- like just that too, but also just like shitty bullshit of people just like, you know, toxic Star Wars fans and all this shit that just, it's just like, it's just a bad vibe. And then there's a few videos on the internet that just like, they, they like, they, they put, they put their thumb on the scale. And there's like, there's that one video of that one, like high school football player, the, 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 they, uh, I thought they had us in the first half guy. Um, I don't think he, I even know that video. What is that? He's this like a it's like an interview with a with a with a high. I think he's a high school, maybe college, but I'm pretty sure it's high school. He's like a football player, and he's being interviewed by somebody from like, like a local news thing that was like filming covering the game, and he just he's just like he just goes off on this really like positive speech about like you know fighting through fighting through everything and pushing to victory and greatness and all this stuff and it's like a very just like inspiring video of this kid uh it's like that video or the Does video he say most motherfucking clown love in it anywhere i mean he should uh but there, there are those videos that just like they're an antidote to the just all the bullshit on the internet and that's that this is one of them it's just it's just all good vibes and to add even like a a, a just the cherry on top of the good vibing that is happening right now, the vibrating that we are doing. Violent J has made his own furry costume. So he and his daughter can go to furry conventions together and bond. Hell yeah. Hell to the fuck yeah. <laughs>